This is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And we are here today with a guest that I uh, I think Dan as well, we've both been wanting to bring on for a long, long time, Brendan Lusso. Uh, I would say formerly known as Gorgonzola Man, but I feel like maybe that's <laughs> almost a dated reference at this point. I first came to know you online as Gorgonzola Man, uh, but I, you've been Brendan Lusso for two, three years now, right? Well, <clears throat> yeah, well, I'm, um, you know, I'm Luso Brendan. It's it's just a reference to my uh, my Lusophone heritage. I'm Portuguese. Right. Oh, but, right. Um, but my name is Brendan McCauley. You can call me that. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> a fellow <laughs> Irishman here. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, um, well, Brendan, well, just Brendan. let me let me let me interrupt you. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, I, no. this is a Thank pleasure you for coming on. I am yeah. a big fan of what you guys do. I'm especially a big fan of these last couple of episodes. You've had some guys that I really respect a lot who are my colleagues at Apocalypse Confidential. And so, um, yeah, it's know. kind Absolutely. of um, an unplanned thing, but I, I think it kind of kind of cool in a way that the lot you this is you're our third guest in a row that's affiliated with Apocalypse Confidential. Um, it wasn't planned that we were going to start 2023 off by doing an intensive <laughs> investigation of the Apocalypse Confidential scene. However, uh, things were, you know, uh, perhaps, perhaps not everything happens for a reason, perhaps, but perhaps there's some uh, so, some some hidden, hidden, hidden meaning to this. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, Brendan is um, for anyone who doesn't know, Brendan is a longtime podcaster, kind of a fixture in what. I hate these labels and whatever, but, you know, the weird right scene that we kind of talked about in our last episode with Jacob, um, Brendan is kind of almost like a, almost like a founding member of, member of or, or a very, you know, deep-seated uh, figurehead within. Um, he is the host of Tales from the Mall. Um, he is a frequent, as as Dan has described himself, a frequent uh, contributor to Twitter.com, um, <laughs> a, a poster and a podcaster uh, and someone who has... Uh, his hand in a lot of different things. I definitely first came across you through the many wonderful Perfume Nationalist um, guest appearances uh, that you've made, co-host appearances that you've made, uh, but but you've been doing a lot of work. And one of the main things that we're going to talk about today is uh, your, how would you describe it, a radio drama? I mean, it's not radio, it's a podcast, podcast drama, The Isolation Chamber, which... Um, which I'm not just saying this because we we you know listen to it and, and want to support our guests, but it is fantastic. Uh, it is a absolutely work of literature, um, every bit as much as as the books we cover, um, and everyone should check it out. Uh, it's uh, about twelve episodes. Uh, you can you, you'll get into it fast, and we'll talk more about it. But uh, Brendan is all so much. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. I I don't shy from the term radio drama. In fact, yeah. I I think I was calling it an audio drama for a while, but to me that just sounded um, you know, like like when you refer to your girlfriend as your partner. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just straight up radio drama. It happens to be available on a, a podcast but i mean it's just an old school radio drama so absolutely and it, that's the aesthetic of it i think it's important well uh yeah i think it's it's good to call it a radio drama because it gives you some idea of the genre if you're calling it an audio drama or a podcast drama your head starts to go elsewhere but this is very much within that radio drama genre um i remember growing up i actually used to listen to the radio before the internet and before i had the internet and I would occasionally be like skimming around, uh, you know, the I guess the probably the AM dial, but sometimes the FM dial. And every once in a while, not that radio dramas, you know, I'm a millennial, not that they were like a huge part of my childhood, but every so often you'd come across something uh, that sounded a little bit like um, a little bit like the isolation chamber. And the, the isolation chamber is a bit trippy, as we'll get into, you know, there's some very sort of psychedelic uh and random aspects to it in a wonderful way but uh but what's interesting is i remember the kind of the aesthetic of that like it's, it's uh, sometimes and I, mean, I do mean this in a positive way like sometimes when you're when you as a kid when i would come across those like weird am radio type things it would it would feel like the isolation chamber it would, it would have that sort of random psychedelic element because you're hopping into a story midway um, and, and i just remember just thinking like what the fuck is this like i listen to that as a kid and the isolation chamber uh, I think does that to you too, but in a more intentional way where, where there's a surreal element to it. And um, uh, all that is to say, you know, it, radio drama, I think, gives some idea of, of what this is. Well, you know, radio storytelling is often referred to as, uh, you know, the theater of the mind. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of that's a psychedelic phrase. It's kind of unavoidable when right. you're doing when you're when you're trying to create images with sound you know and yeah. uh and so that was something that i wanted to embrace you know the uh, the whole idea of um it taking place in a sense you know of, of portions of it taking place in a sens sensory deprivation tank mm -hmm. are actually inspired by um you know this kind of a psychedelic film that i really like called altered states oh uh, i've heard of which that is, which is about a researcher who begins investigating sensory deprivation and then he comes across this kind of ayahuasca like substance while he's uh you know doing some research in like central america or mexico yeah, or something like yeah. that and then he starts injecting himself with that drug and going in the sensory deprivation tank and then it kind of turns him into a um you know it's and then it kind of turns into like a werewolf story after that because it's yeah. because the drug is altering him at like a genetic level so, so yeah oh sorry yeah. go ahead and so you know i am um somebody who has used the sensory deprivation tank as a mm -hmm. way to actually relax and unplug and have not had many visionary experience you know it's not it's not a psychedelic thing when i do it some people say that they have visions and stuff like that. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but but it is like a way of I feel like the isolation chamber is a, is a, a metaphor for a lot of different things. What we went what we experienced as people when we were in our lonely par yeah. apartments yeah. during COVID, but also the the mindset that we have to enter in order to become 
more creative to to do to do mm-hmm. the creative work that we do. Absolutely. And so to be clear, you actually have been in an isolation chamber. This is a, a uh, you know, uh, medicinal or whatever practice that you uh, occasionally do. D- yeah. Do- dozens of times. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a place here in Tempe um, and they call it a float spa because okay. you, know, you, you basically get in what looks like a little spaceship and you lie down in salt water because nice. so you float on top of salt water in darkness and um you know for an hour or two if you want and basically it just takes all the pressure off of your body hmm. you don't you know because you don't have any stimulus it takes pressure off of your eyes and mind and you kind of enter this like relaxed state and and it's good for your back you know all your you know ath- athletes use it to recover from you know from from stress and strain but people also use it just for like meditation and visualization and things. It's, it's something that Joe Rogan has talked a lot about. Oh, yeah, yeah, I and I think that. he probably has one at his house and he probably like gets high as fuck and, you know, goes in there and practices. Oh, Jamie, moves. fire up the isolation chamber. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he like practices jujitsu moves in his mind or whatever. But um, It's, it's really, it's it, at, at its base level. It's just a way of, relaxing it's just a it's just a meditation okay you know, it uh, to me to that. had some real corollaries to um as you describe it he starts to hallucinate and he starts to uh in in part aided by pills that he's given and we'll, we'll get into this more later but it has uh psychedelic uh, elements these uh, isolation chamber trips and for me that there is a real corollary to uh psychedelic trips that uh, that i have had and it it felt very um very similar but we'll we'll get into that more uh more later i noticed in the notes that you you did want to kind of foreground tales from the mall a bit maybe um we kind of like shift gears hit tales from the mall and then get more deeply into isolation chamber i i think that's a wise idea just because i don't i don't want to you know tales from the mall is where you know i make daddy makes the big bucks exactly. you know and so i don't <laughs> yeah. i don't want that to get lost in the shuffle yeah, yeah. the isolation chamber is free for all to to listen to and enjoy and i agree there's a lot to explore tales from the mall is a talk show um that i you know have have done for a well, well over a year now and uh and you can subscribe to it on patreon.com slash tales from the mall and there's an archive of like 90 different episodes with some really amazing people, people that your listeners would be familiar with, people yeah, that you've had on your show, like uh, Howling Mutant has been on a number of times, mm-hmm. and um, you know, del- guys like Delicious Tacos. Sam oh, I didn't Pink. know Tacos was on. That's cool. Yeah, um, yes, Sam Pink. Um, more recently, um, you know, we've had some, some, you know, and I've had all the whole uh, Apocalypse Confidential crew. Uh, on there recently i had tom will he's our poetry editor on there and one of his only pod appearances from what i because we uh invited him on to write and he says he doesn't do pods i believe him but i think you uh you brought him out of the shell there (laughs) well you know i only had to beg him a hundred times you know like um but uh but yeah you know all new episodes now are subscribers only so if you go to patreon.com slash tales from the mall what you're getting is a recorded phone conversation where I'm at the mall walking around and talking to some of these like 
anywhere, anything from creative people who are writers and artists to e-girls to random friends of mine. So it's, it's kind of a, yeah, no, I, I've listened to, to a, a chunk of it. I would like, I would like to do the, uh, you know, Jack from the perfume nationalist thing of actually listening to all of it, but I think I've heard maybe the first dozen or so episodes and I, I should catch up. It's a great podcast. It's a great concept. Um, not to be this guy, but you know, me, me, me and Dan should come on sometime, perhaps. Even, yeah, no, we, throw we it out to, there. I've, to I've, invite uh, ourselves yeah, on, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> not yeah. to invite ourselves on, but uh, but I, I've I've long been a fan, as I'm trying well, to say. It. Um, I think I, it's a great, great pod. Yeah, I, I would love to have you guys on. In fact, I the whole I, idea that I have is that you know sometimes you go on some of these podcasts and like the idea is to like talk about david cronenberg for three hours or whatever you know which <laughs> yeah is great but i wanted to give people an opportunity to talk about themselves or whatever they wanted to talk about and that it's like kind of like for the guests you know yeah well that's one of the things i really like about your work because i think that you're just in general like definitely tales from the mall uh, isolation chamber in a different way even your Twitter presence, um, you know, you, you seem to be it's, it's kind of this weird, quote unquote, weird, right? thing we talked about with Jacob, like it's not about politics. It's not even about like art uh, in, in, a, in an official sense. It's um, it's very much like about uh, it's, it's hard to say this without sounding, uh, you know, kind of kind of like a, a, a vibes public, by any chance vibes and, and self-expression, you know, uh, in, in, a, in a very real sense of like um, being vulnerable, uh, but, you know, just like really really showing people what, what you're all about, which in an anonymous uh, Twitter ecosphere, which I'm not against, you know, anon people to choose their own levels of anonymity. But I think that's one of the things that makes your work really stand out is, um, is it really foregrounds that uh, element of, of vulnerability and not just vulnerability in like an emo way, but like vulnerability in like, uh, you know, making art out of this kind of way. Uh, it's something that you embody, but also bring out of your guests for sure. Well, you know, it's interesting that you use that word vulnerability because I think about it that way as well. And it's funny because, um, you know, I think that I I suspect strongly that a lot of people um, have doubts and reservations about their um, about their worth, about what they're capable of, about if anybody even fucking cares if they have anything to say. Mm -hmm. You know, we we exist in in an age where there's like a cacophony of voices and projects and things like that. And yeah. I just want to open myself up and say, hey, look, I have I I have sometimes I feel inadequate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have doubts, etc. But then people will come back and say, like, this guy is neurotic. He's, um, uh, you know, insecure. And I say, well. Hey, look, I just admit I admitted to those things. That doesn't mean that I'm a that I'm especially that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think so. People yeah. take advantage of that. It's like, well, maybe you should open up, you know, your yeah. your yourself to anybody who has ears to listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that was one of my takeaways from uh, I mean, we'll talk about it more isolation chamber. But like, I mean, yes, it is to some extent a work of fiction, but I mean, like you, there is a protagonist named Brendan and <laughs> you, uh, you do kind of like go into these kind of like very, um, and yes, I'm sure some of it is fiction, but personal things regarding self-worth, self-doubt, 
And frankly, you know, maybe I even catch flack for this, but um, I think on our side of the internet, especially the more um, frog Twitter like side, there's a kind of real like hard nose, like we're men, we don't talk about our feelings, we don't. And, you know, but I mean, the truth, and there is something to be said for that. There's, of course, you know, being stoic and what have you. But um, I mean, it, it's not like you, we don't have feelings. We don't uh, have these. And they, it can be enlightening and fun to talk about sometimes. And necessary, I suppose. And necessary. Yeah, it's, it's necessary to sometimes talk about this stuff before before becoming stoic, quote unquote, you know. Well, yeah. you know, yeah. I guess I would ask, here's what the question that I would ask to paraphrase Langston Hughes is, uh, you know, what happens? He asks, what happens to a dream deferred? I would ask, well, what happens to an insecurity deferred? Does it? Yeah. And, he's, and then he says, what does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or does it explode? And I think that if, you know, if you don't yeah. have somewhere to put that shit, you're going to act like a, you're going to act like a psycho. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. That's by the way, <laughs> Uh, the 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 protagonist of your book, Dan Nutcracker, <laughs> who, by the way, you encapsulate so many um different strains of thought that are going through his head. There's a lot of I feel like there's they a hit. lot. He's experiencing a confusion of of influences. But the Absolutely. poor bastard, the poor bastard, um, you know, he ends up spontaneously crying on like four different <laughs> occasions or something like that. You know, that could very well, you know. I think that um, there, there, there's a strength and courage to just kind of announce who you are, at least to a very, at the very least, announce who you are. You know, absolutely, yeah. It's like, like as you say, a, it's an insecurity that is deferred. Is I, it doesn't necessarily explode. It can, but like the way I would think of it is, it kind of like hardens, and so it's like there's a rock in your shoe. And you kind of like walk with a limp because of it, or you kind of like work, try to work around it. And, you know, sometimes there's some things that you obviously will, will have to work around and like Spencer. Yeah. There's some issues that like he will, you know, if he were psychologically healthy, he would be acknowledging and trying to work around. But if you don't even like really know that they're there and you just try to put them out of your mind, your whole personality will be formed around kind of mitigating them. And that's, um, you know, very often not a fun person to be around. I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, I used to have this, um, I used to have this basketball coach, um, when I was a kid and he was the dad of one of the, one of my, the kids who were also on the team. Mm-hmm. And my God, the guy, the guy seemed like he was going to have a heart attack, um, <laughs> And I think I think that the issue was for him was that he didn't have um, a lot of uh, control over what happened in his life. And um, and so when, uh, you know, our absolutely atrocious YMCA basketball team would play, he would just let out all of his frustration then and there Um, and his face would turn all red and. You know, he I, I think you yeah. know to, he thought he might have been I think he thought he was like Mike Ditka. But um, I don't know. You just that made is, me think. Uh, I had a coach like that, a basketball coach like that as a kid, too. Um, Not that it's that remarkable. But, yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up uh, because I was just thinking about that yesterday. 
because I've been thinking a lot about, and we'll get more into this on the isolation chamber. I've been thinking, you know, I meditate. I think we all need like practices to uh, sort of relax. And I've been thinking about that, like how I should probably have more of those in my life. And for some reason, it's just kind of funny that you brought this up because for some reason I was thinking about like my coach when I was like nine, again, father of one of the kids on the team. And I remember him just like blowing his top at like a bunch of nine-year-olds. And I was thinking, what was going on in his life? Like, wh why would he do that? Um, but basically I had the, the exact same experience as you. I think there are men, um, there are men who, who, who like don't have an outlet, uh, more so men than women. I, I imagine who, who don't like have an outlet to express that frustration. It ends up coming out in weird ways. Like, uh, as you said, uh, what happens to it, I guess, an insecurity deferred or like, a, or, or any negative emotion deferred and it, it'll come out in bad ways uh yeah i can't imagine screaming at like my nine-year-old kid on the weekend that i'm trying to coach his basketball but yeah it was like a thing i don't know weird <laughs> yeah I, I hope that doesn't happen to me you know i, I do like sports yeah. i do like sports a lot that's good yeah um what kind of meditation do you do uh i hate to even be this guy but i do transcendental meditation no i i don't i don't hate to be that guy but yes i do like the david lynch tm so you thing. do a like there's a sanskrit mantra that you're repeating yeah yeah um, okay go ahead ask yeah i'm curious I, I i tried doing transcendental meditation i thought it was very useful but i was very uncomfortable with the sanskrit mantra yeah because... i think a lot of people are but it feels un unnatural and organic well i just thought well what am i some you know like Oh yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a Christian, okay? Yeah. And um and so I didn't want to like step out on on um my god. So Yeah, yeah. Summon, I was a little worried uh, about that, but uh, or something. Yeah. But I also uh you know, you just the thing is is that I think the Maharishi was a little bit cagey about. He was like, "Oh, the San you got the you got to do the Sanskrit mantra. Uh it's just a way of using a phrase that has no meaning to you right but it's not it's not doing you know it, it doesn't have any religious connotations and yeah. i think that was a way of you know attracting secular followers yeah. oh the yeah, go on go on go on but i think that that it's been said by like people who are more familiar with vedic religion and hinduism and stuff that it's like well actually this refers to a you know a vedic deity you know this yeah. mantra or whatever which that's there's no problem with that it's just that that Maharishi. some people i think were like well he's not telling the truth about what this this is a topic i could talk on i don't maybe we will because it's not irrelevant to the isolation chamber it's something i've been thinking about a little bit i wrote i wrote about transcendental meditation and, and david lynch and some other topics on my Substack uh not too long ago um, and in my next book i will republish those essays but it, it's something that i again i have been thinking about it um and, you know, what I say about TM, like, um, it just kind of made sense as like a meditation practice for me to take up, um, because there's a simplicity to it. I didn't want to like get, I didn't have like the time to like get involved with anything too, too much more intense than that, where you're like learning some, some, some intense meditation ritual. Like I like the simplicity of it. I like the practice of doing it twice, 20 minutes, twice a day. However, um, I'm not necessarily like a true believer in, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, uh, who, who's the founder of TM, for those who don't know, um, or or just a lot of the other kind of promises of the TM organization. I've never had like a truly like psychedelic trip type. Well, maybe that's overstating it, but some people really say like I do this, and it's like the isolation chamber. Like I, I visualize, I 
complete like it's like not ego death but like approaching that including david lynch who i respect and admire a lot um i think it has different effects on different people for me i keep doing it um because I, because it is just a convenient practice and i do think it's benefited me um but i'm not like a, a true proselytizer so to speak as to the issue of the the vedic uh, of the the like the possibly religious element i've heard that too i haven't looked into it too much doesn't scare me too much but i think you're right that there could be with the figure of maharishi himself uh there could be some uh dissembling people have accused him of being a fraud in other ways too well, uh including john lennon which the beatles be well yeah well that that song sexy sadie what have you oh, done yeah. you made a fool of everyone the original lyrics were maharishi what have you done exactly you <laughs> yeah. um uh, no it's I, true i had a girlfriend i had a girlfriend whose parents were evangelical christians and they met because they were both TMers, and in fact, the her mom uh, had gone to the Maharishi University in Iowa as yeah. for college, oh, wow. and then they renounced TM and became evangelical Christians, born again Christians. As for David, okay, but I will say this, and I'm somebody who's practiced mindfulness, like studied mindfulness, yeah, which is hard as hell and not. Well, that's that's what I do, by the way. I do mindfulness uh, only five minutes a day. But yeah, I, I think I think that mindfulness can be can be somewhat, you know, it's it it's a discipline. Yeah. And mantra meditation puts you in a relaxed state. You, I mean, you just kind of just got to hum that little mantra in your head and the rest does the work. You relax yeah. your body and mind. It's I find I found it much easier. Mindfulness, I got my mind expanded more. I think at times, you know, after. But you know, you'd have to do a thirty-minute meditation because I mean, to to to, you got so much shit stirring around in there. The atmosphere of your consciousness, you, you become aware of how much is going on when you do mindfulness. Yeah, I should yeah, try mindfulness towards, perhaps. Um, the but, end of it. But, yeah, go on. Uh, toward, you know, as you, you do kind of like mindfully, you're trying to not explicitly not think of any thoughts and just feel, you know, or whatever, however you do it. Like I think of like, try to focus on my breathing. And I find that as time goes on, like you learn that it's not about banishing all thought from your head. It's about kind of learning to let those thoughts kind of glide over your consciousness and not engage with them. So like, you know, toward the, it's only five minutes every morning, but toward the end of that five minutes, I'm just conscious of the fact that like, I'm primarily paying attention to my breathing, but secondarily, um, yeah, there's like thoughts that are kind of like passing through, but like almost like images, not really. And like, it's, I, I find it's very useful or it has been a very useful practice for me to understand that you can disengage from the kind of constant chasing of thoughts and of um you know uh desires and thinking yeah. processes yes no definitely in theory with tm2 there's an element of that where you're not supposed to chase your thoughts away at all you're just supposed to kind of acknowledge them and, and not give them as much power so to speak but but yeah no it's, it's an interesting topic i i think that as you said brendan like um I think that the, the the best thing I'll say about TM is is the is the ease of it. It's something that you can easily get into a practice of doing. Because like for me, other habits like that, it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get in the habit if it's too hard. Like it's just not gonna happen. So 100 percent 
and yeah. and I'm and I just want to make it very clear that I'm not busting your balls for oh, doing no. TM in any way. No, 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 no. I know. Mm-hmm. I I realize that. Um, I know. No, my my relationship with with uh, I'm not like again. I'm not like one of those true proselytizer types. Uh, it's something I kind of more just exploring. I and I, just to comment one last comment on the the Maharishi uh, Beatles thing to me is. I don't know, just very interesting. And then that uh, I, I I get all weird and esoteric about this, but like the fact that they made that song, um, Sexy Sadie, which was Maharishi, and then George Harrison requested that John Lennon change it. And then one of the Manson girls like named herself after that song. Like to me, that's like, whoa, like what's going on there? Like you talk about, you know, uh, I don't think there's anything evil going on or anything, but like it's it's kind of it's kind of kind of interesting to me that it had that spiritual source and then there was that renunciation of that and then it had that weird effect anyway i'm writing um not to not to grift here not grift but you know not this i'm writing a new book um as as some some of uh followers of this pod know and i write a little bit about i read a good amount about meditation uh and i write i even write a little bit about this beatles uh maharishi thing because i think it's oh interesting yeah yeah i'm I'm looking forward to reading that chapter yeah it's a very good book matt's writing well, what the hell happened there? I mean, like, um, what was so, their issue with? Allegedly, with... Um, Maharishi had made some kind of um, sexual advance on Mia Farrow, of all people, who was also at the ashram. Hey, who didn't? John... You know? What's that? I said, who didn't? Right, exactly. And John Lennon was like, oh, he if he's so enlightened, like, why is he, like, horny? I That's think it's... I'm not an expert on it. That's a fair question. like that. You you um, read about this you you'll you can read about this with various gurus from various traditions. A lot of them are perverts. There's no. It's doubt like what well, they have like these sex things, and I mean it's just hard. I, I find that 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 if if you are if you are trying to experience spirituality and um, get rid of your you know Buddhism or whatever they may refer to them as like attachments or whatever mm-hmm. like lust is the hardest to overcome definitely yeah yeah in fact i mean that has been my biggest obstacle to experiencing religion is trying to be moral you know sexually yeah well christ i can imagine yeah i mean for, for me too in a way um like yeah it's it's definitely the most especially well the, you know pornography and all that's another another topic but you know it's it's so pervasive online obviously it's it's very hard to be kind of continent with regard to that um but in terms of the maharishi beatles thing yeah i mean i don't i'm not an, i'm sure there's someone who's written about it more extensively i do know um, in defense of of tm and maharishi uh, like uh george harrison uh, maybe ringo and definitely paul mccartney have also all sort of like um reconciled with him later and maybe became friends again and i think paul mccartney like still does tm so it's not a totally negative review from the beatles but the john lennon thing is interesting because i think a he was reacting against um the the sort of sexuality thing uh but also um this is kind of apropos of nothing but it's it's just something i've been thinking about and maybe it's not completely unrelated to the themes of isolation chamber etc you know this is later if you've heard the song um god by john lennon where he's like yes. doesn't believe in he's also i just think very much like that that became his thing in like the 70s is that he rejected pretty much all spiritualism um which i don't agree with i'm not 
you know, I, I once almost tweeted like I, I I believe in everything that John Lennon says he doesn't believe in in the song God, which as people know, <laughs> you, so you do believe in Beatles. Uh, I suppose so, but also Elvis, <laughs> and uh, you know, I won't even name. Yeah. Him. Anyway, um, not to go on a tangent, but yeah, it just it's just interesting no. to me that I think he he had that like atheistic experience of it and and rejected it. And it's I can understand coming up through the sixties and we're just want, saying screw all this. It's just me and my uh, wife, which is essentially what he ended up saying. But yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I think um, I think from where he was sitting or whatever, you know, like so many things were coming at him and um and you know i mean i can understand him like wanting to just kind of like get a clear head you know sometimes you have to reject exactly. a lot of shit just to get a clear head and like uh and i have to do this a hundred times a day where i'm just like fuck everything but um yeah. i was recently watching the um because you know i'm i'm, I'm ultimate you know I, I said i was a christian you know I, i'm also like you know, I'm, I've been like a new ager. I love, you know, I've loved studying like chakras and yeah, crystals yeah. and fucking, you know, hypnosis and just like everything you can think of. Um, tarot, like all that stuff. Oh, and, yeah, um, yeah. And, 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 um, but, and, and plus, you know, like different psych, you know, like psychology, you know, I, I've, I had a relationship with LSD, uh, you know, all these things. I was watching this Aaron Rodgers interview because, you know, Aaron Rodgers is in the news and and he's kind of ahead and he likes new age shit and he's kind of like a based hippie or whatever, you know? Yeah. And he was doing an interview with this guy, Aubrey Marcus, who's kind of like I I call him a Joe Rogan wannabe, but he may be actually like the puppet master of Joe Rogan, (laughs) you know, like. And, and, and he was talking about going on the darkness retreat and they talk about ayahuasca and something was irritating me about it, even though I'm like, you know, like kind of a fan of 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 that stuff and Aaron Rodgers yeah. in particular. And I thought, you know what, you know, what irritates me about this is that it's not can, that they're talking about all of these things to embrace the self better. Yeah. Detached oh, from a yeah. higher power. Yeah. And it seems really like, at worst, narcissistic. I know that's a term that we use a lot, um, uh, you know. But it just, just kind of selfish. And um, and so. Oh yeah, definitely. That is the. It, it kind of made me involved. rethink my relationship with some of these things. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there's with psychedelics. There's definitely the kind of like drive to be like, I'm gonna try them all. And I'm going to maybe this one will help me more in this way. And that one will help me more in that way. And it it becomes a sort of thing where you're like trying to, you know, maximize your enlightenment, which is, of course, not the end. Like, I know people approach meditation this way, too, uh, and they, you know, excoriate themselves for it, rightly so. It's not about like, you know. I'm going to be the most enlightened person. It's, uh, you know, like you can't do ego death without, you know, giving up a bit of your ego. And that, you know, that is very much the point yeah. with uh, a number of these psychedelic experiences, at least um, it, it was for me. Uh, I don't know about you, Brendan. Well, I, I mean, I, I experienced ego death and, um, and it was just like a very traumatic, exp- I, like, like a, you know, I, 
talk about this a lot on my show, but yeah. you know, like I had an experience with LSD that you know just basically changed my life in, in a bad, you know, at first a bad way, you know, where it was just like really, I kind of just had a nervous breakdown. Yeah, yeah, and um, and I was not, I was not the same after that, and um, I don't know why, you know, why that why I experienced it that way and other people kind of come out on the other side, you know, like maybe I, my ego is so resistant to it that, you know, it, it had its defenses were to be scared and all that stuff. But um, I, I think when you're talking about enlightenment and all of these things that they do, it's really just at, at its core. It's just like, I want to feel good. I want to feel better i want to feel bliss they use the term bliss which has these kinds of like spiritual trappings but really what you're talking about is unending pleasure and no pain you know (laughs) it's really not that uh, complicated or high-minded i would argue which there's by the way there's nothing wrong with wanting no but suffering is painful yeah yeah Yeah. it's pitfall this is actually a really interesting topic and it's gonna be i think it'll lead us into discussing the isolation chamber more, more deeply. Um, I think that uh, definitely the pitfalls you kind of uh, describe of uh, new age thought and practices with meditation and even things like tarot and perhaps psychedelic drug use as all, those are all very real pitfalls. I'm also into like a lot of new age stuff in that kind of hopefully more based way, but it's stuff that I've been exploring a lot especially over the past like year and a half, but I've always been very, conscious and i'm not saying i haven't uh fucked up but i've always been kind of very cautious about the degree to which uh it is it is extremely selfish it is like part of like uh me like not me too but you know me culture so to speak um <laughs> where you're uh you know you know the me generation type of thing from the 60s and 70s it, it's very much in line with that and the danger from a like a theological or spiritual perspective the danger of it is making yourself uh, into into a god or at least like a pope like you're 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 the only authority that you're appealing to i think i think that's both the appeal of those practices but also one of the severe dangers um i do think it can be mitigated and i do think some of these practices can still have a lot of value outside of it but that is the principal uh pitfall i think is the fact that this is all part of individualism and the strength of organized religion um is that precisely that it is not like there's 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 pitfalls to organized religion too no doubt i don't like defend every organized religion like you know um there's something good about the freedom of new age stuff um but like at the end of the day if that's all you're doing like you are you could kind of devolve into a narcissistic um wormhole um sorry for being long-winded here the other thing i'll say is uh yeah like like the, the other element that actually has never sit well with me especially with things like TM and and certain, yeah, with meditation and sort of more Eastern tinged Western uh, appropriations of Eastern thought in general is, is that ostensible desire for like unending bliss. Um, I I, I understand, as you said, I understand why people want that. Um, And I'm not necessarily like morally castigating wanting that. um, But that actually has never sit well with me. Like, I don't want that. Like I actually want to be, um embodied i don't want i mean ego death i think can be valuable but i want like i i take a lot of meaning in my suffering i guess i don't actually want my suffering yes that that's a great point i mean i mean um 
you know, I, I think that Christianity has suffering is built into the narrative. And yeah, and, and yeah. that's important because it's, it's it's unavoidable. But I think that we also well, fuck, you guys wrote books. So you crave suffering, you know, like yeah. it's it's it it's a big part of who we are and and uh, and where meaning comes from. Absolutely. But no, you you a, hold the light. Point. Yeah. yeah. All of us hold the light. Yeah. No, I mean, that I I, I really like so to finish the point and to go along with what you're saying, Brandon, like I really do like a lot of sort of Buddhist or even Hindu and practices. I think they're like the most serious study of like the renunciation of will in the that the world has had. And I think there's a lot of value in sort of suspending the will. Um, but it, for me, it can't be the be all end all. Um, like just just it, being in that state of bliss doesn't like like no like meaning comes from suffering. I and I think that the value in the New Age stuff in the you know Eastern stuff uh, a lot of it is um, for me I think like they can be used as tools to sort of um, improve the mind so to speak. But ultimately, um, yeah, not just not the be all end all in terms of suspending that stuff and. To make the final, final point, I think that a lot of them are chiefly beneficial in as far as they kind of benefit the creative process. Um, I I, you know, even things like tarot for me or like uh, meditation to a certain extent. That's why I got into it through David Lynch. It's like, oh, this is going to I'm going to take the strength of this and then I'm going to put it into something that that is material, that is is within this realm and put it out in the world. And I think that is a good bridge to talk about the isolation chamber. But yeah. Well, you know, the isolation chamber um, is not so you talk about David Lynch. OK, I feel like the isolation chamber has that kind of like untethered quality that a lot of David Lynch's work has. And thinking about David Lynch gave me permission to not worry about structure and always making sense and those kinds of things. But. I realized when I made the isolation chamber, and by the way, I wrote the first episode and recorded it without knowing anything about what was going to happen afterwards. And yeah, that, that was the, sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, and like, that was exactly what happened with every episode subsequent. Okay. So I, I kind of thought yeah. that it's like, oh, now I got to write a new one and, and something's got to kind of connect to that previous one. And that's more or less it, how I wrote Nutcranker. And it just kept just going of, and going and going. You and go I where the that, muse takes you. Yeah, and, and then the muse is kind of like we all have access to that, and um, and David Lynch has kind of like found a really good way to do it with TM. Like he thinks that that that's you get into creative states where you're you're kind of operating with something that's coming from outside of you, but he doesn't lay, he doesn't do the work of laying a heavy structure down on those visions when he gets them. You know what I mean? Like if you watch. You know, some of his greatest stuff like um uh like Lost Highway yes. or Mulholland Drive. Mm. Um, but then you get into something like Inland Empire, which I- I'm sorry, folks, like it just uh. doesn't work for me. Like it doesn't make sense, like it- it's completely untethered. And I worked on the isolation chamber in that kind of mode, trying to lay down some narrative structure, trying to make sense of what you know, basically, I think for me, it kind of operated as like more the isolation chamber. You can look at it as like um, like a sketchbook or something like that, you know, where I'm putting everything in there. I'm putting everything yeah. I got in there, all oh, the yeah. ideas, all Love the it. things yeah. that. But 
I've really come to respect the artist who thinks about the structure of the work. That's that's where the like when you watch a, a good Hollywood movie that works. One that I'm thinking of in particular is like Fatal Attraction. This great yeah. narrative, yeah, just like hits all the beats. You know, like the viewer is on the edge of their seat and wondering what's going to happen next, and it all adds up. There was a that was that part to make it work like that. That's hard fucking work. And so, in future fictional endeavors that I work on, I will I will not skimp on that. And I think about that a lot. Is the narrative structure? Yeah, I would push back on that slightly by saying that. I think the kind of free-flowing um, dynamic that you have on the isolation chamber is a real uh, uh, boost and, and, and benefit to it because you can kind of sense the kind of on-the-fly creativity that uh, is, you know, it's kind of infectious. And when I, like, when I was planning Nutcranker and when I've tried to plan novels and, you know, screenplays in the past. With, with screenplays, you kind of do need to plan it. It's a movie. It has to fit into a certain right. framework. Yeah. But like novels or even a more open-ended kind of radio drama, I feel like those uh, will benefit from fidelity to character voice. So like mm. your character voice is Brendan, basically, and, and other characters, too. But like at no point did I feel like that uh, the isolation chamber was really kind of like veering in a direction to satisfy narrative and untrue to the characters. Like by the end, when Brendan is uh, the world's best performance artist and he's become like a, a dick, like I, <laughs> I believe that term. I like not not that I believe you, Brendan, are a dick, but uh, I, I believe that turn in the, the radio drama. And yeah, it fidelity to your like your voice and your vision is kind of um, one of the big kind of benefits to um, not overly structuring a, a work of fiction so you can kind of keep it real through <clears throat> the process. Yeah, sure, sure. That's a good point. I mean, that that's something I hadn't thought about, but you know, like I'm working on something right now where I've got a lot of the. I've got a lot of the story planned out and I'm having trouble making the characters sing. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, the, the, two, that, the two things are kind of uh, in, in, uh, in conflict sometimes, I think. Dan, continue, sorry. In that instance, I think what you really need to do is just like listen to the characters. Like you, I think it's like you, you want to plan, but you want to ultimately like um, have the character have final authority. So like you, you make plans, you make, but you have it like written into the the contract that at the end of the day, the character says what's going to happen. And so like, if you have them like, you know, it's like, oh, at this point, Spencer marries Crystal, like mm. it's not just, you know, you're there and you're just like, that's not going to happen. And sure. you just have to, you know, you have to roll with it and let the character take you where character wants to go. And that's, that's in my opinion the the discovery that comes from letting the character do the writing do the talking do the yeah. guiding you that's like the best feeling that exactly. that's the best feeling that's better than that that's kind of like what you're trying to get when you do you know when you get into like deep states of meditation or doing Absolutely, yeah, it or, is. or something's coming from outside of you in yeah yeah 
you're in and the zone. A, you're yeah, like, I love like, that feeling. Like athletes when they're like in the middle of like their one of their best basketball games mm-hmm. or whatever, and they could oh. see everything all around them, and they're just like moving fluidly. Like <laughs> for like for nerdy writer guys, like cat writing like you know effortlessly, hearing the cat. Yeah. That's like our being in the zone. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that, yeah, it's it's a flow state, and it's definitely kind of flow like, state. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. seeking flow out state. of art, uh, but as well as also things like meditation too. It's it's like that Nirvana feeling, uh, not Nirvana the band, uh, but you know what I mean. The that that bliss. Um, that well, I, maybe that's in that in a, maybe that's not to get not to split hairs. I don't know if that's like actually how Nirvana would be defined in an Eastern tradition. Maybe that's a more calm state and flow states actually more active i don't know it's it's following the dow i don't know there's a million different frameworks to put it in um it's all it's all good but i i was gonna say i think that art is often um especially writing but i think all art would have something equivalent to this uh it is is the is the the, the art itself is the art of balancing that kind of it's not like jordan peterson like you know, chaos and order so to speak like you have to impose that structure but sometimes that's at odds with that more free-flowing creativity but the free-flowing creativity doesn't always lend itself well to structure and like a lot of art and a lot of the best art some art leans too far in one direction or the other you know you have like formulaic television which is not exactly art but it's very well plotted and then you have like inland empire uh which i might like a bit more than you but i definitely hear what you're saying um where it's kind of just a chaotic like uh surreal id and and then you have something like Mulholland Drive, uh, not to sound film broy about that, but you know what I mean. So Mulholland, like or even Blue Velvet, uh, perhaps even even a more plot word direction where there's that great balance between the two things. And I think that is the struggle. And it's not one that there's an easy solution for. It's one you have to to work at and almost like get lucky to be able to enter that mental space where you can make something that is both channeling a pure fire of creativity and also structured. It's a challenge. Oh, I think it's an extreme challenge, and I think that we that that when you say that uh, you know you get lucky i think and that's you, true yeah. i think yeah. that's true i think you know if you can if you can catch it a few times and be you know like that's great um and and you you know luck is a component of greatness you know and luck itself is an art um yeah. but um i think um you know just the thing the thing that that i will you know, not not denigrating like unstructured, surreal narratives. I'm just saying that the hard work that comes from imposing structure on a work is a is a challenge that I hadn't previously considered and am embracing. You know, as yeah, as no. like a as as something. To, absolutely, and that's that's what. <laughs> you know, as as just like the, and and you know like. I don't want to try the isolation chamber again, you know, like, yeah. And, 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 and hear, risk fate and risk, you know, and, and, um, uh, you know, risk the gods turning on me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good to kind of go in different directions. As Dan kind of said, I do think the freewheeling nature of the isolation chamber is one of the main appeals. Um, and I actually, I have this, this comment like I, I i like the ending i think the ending makes sense that you know brendan the character would kind of it's a it's a almost like this a star is born type narrative where like you know the art 
the art the artistry like he he sells out so to speak um definitely a satisfying narrative and it comes to a satisfying conclusion but i would say and, and please take this as a compliment that i if you would have kept doing the isolation chamber for years like i probably you know <laughs> i would have obviously yeah i would have kept listening like i could imagine you going in just a zillion different directions it would still be interesting because what you were doing was interesting but that being said i totally get the need to at some point bring the project to a close and i also totally get what you're saying in terms of like once you do a more freewheeling thing like you need to explore your craft more in terms of bringing structure to it and whatever you produce next and i'm curious to, to whatever extent you want to talk about that are we, is it another radio drama i don't know is it a book but like uh, i understand wanting to kind of swing in the other direction um, on a personal level like the first novel i re- wrote dragon day pretty well plotted my next book, which is not a novel, actually, but a series of like interrelated short stories and essays uh, is a lot more um, like unbridled. And I think it is kind of as an artist, one does want to go back and forth and try sort of different things on. Well, the good news is that I am doing another uh, radio drama. Great. Awesome. Um, yeah, happy to hear it. I'm plotting it a little bit more tight. You know, I'm one. I'm just to take the stress out of it. I'm writing all the episodes first and then going to record it, which, you know, like, I mean, that the thing was, was that you'd get it put out. I'd put out an isolation chamber episode and then it'd be like, start all over again. You know? <laughs> yeah. And that was a little stressful. Uh, but the other thing is that I want to, I'm th- there will be elements of it that are retained, which is the mystery, you know, the mysterious esoteric atmosphere I'm gonna gonna try again. Good, good. Um, True detective yeah. vibes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good way of looking at it, actually. You like know, yeah. Two. You know, season two was the best season. So, yeah. yeah well, and, and my isolation chamber, and not only that, but we're gonna get um black Irishman Colin Farrell. For the, <laughs> I thought you were gonna voice. say black Irishman Howling Mutant. Huh. Well, he's yeah, he's kind of the Colin Farrell of my <laughs> my. Uh, um, Colin Farrell, I have to say, would exist very nicely within the uh, Brendan Lusso <laughs> expanded universe. Yeah, totally. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan too. I, I oh. saw like um probably mutual friend uh or mutual Twitter follower at least uh what's what's his name um filthy Armenian uh, really hated Ben Entries and Sheer and I kind of get why he did, but I do really like seeing Colin Farrell and everything. Yeah, yeah, good acting, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan. But yeah, yeah not uh, not to go on there. there. He just well, he I was, has that vibe. He has that ice that that isolation chamber vibe. About well, him. I was upset about the Batman because he was unrecognizable. Like I was like, oh right, I forgot about that. <laughs> as the Penguin <laughs> yeah. of all people, yeah. Which I can understand why. You know, everybody wants it. You know, now that Heath Ledger is like ascended to like God status because of the joker like everybody wants a crack at a batman villain and like we'll put on a fat suit or whatever but i need but but you know some actors are like hey get it you know get him in a fat suit or whatever bobby de niro like make him into a new guy but other people have just like that raw appeal of just like who they are and how they look yeah that's more of what Colin Farrell is. So don't, I agree. Don't yeah. put him in a fat suit and give him a New York accent. No, that was yeah. not. Yeah, I do like Paul Dano. I mean, maybe it's kind of Reddit or like a predictable opinion. Maybe everyone said this, but I thought Paul Dano was pretty striking in that movie. Interesting. But yeah, Interesting. no, the Colin Farrell wasn't. Yeah, it's kind of forgettable, unfortunately. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, unfortunately, it wasn't like a great movie. You know, it was like was good, but yeah, it, it was good. Fun. It was yeah. good, but it was it, and for, and it was like two movies in one, kind of. You know, sort of. Yeah. I have to... But uh, yeah, I, I anyway. was hoping. For, I'm a big Batman <clears throat> person myself, you know, and uh, I, I just was like a little let down by that particular property. Yeah. One thing I want to say before I forget is that um, because we're talking about your next season of whether it's Isolation Chamber or a new project entirely, I was talking with my girlfriend last night and I described it as like a, a radio drama. And she was like, does that mean it's like a play that's recorded? And I said, well, actually, kind of not, because like I have some background in the, the industry and or whatever. And as such, I've like I listened to a good number of recorded plays and like it's very difficult to uh, if you're just kind of like reading a play that the actors are reading it to envision what's going on on the stage. Cause a lot of it relies upon movement. A lot of it, like, like all of these recorded plays, audio plays are not written for the audio medium. So it just, it kind of falls flat. It doesn't, and in, in some instances doesn't work at all. Whereas uh, the isolation chamber and what you've done, frankly, that is, I, I haven't listened to a ton of like true radio dramas, but uh, you, you nailed it. And it's just like, it's just very listenable, very like, I'm not struggling to picture what's going on because through the combination of sound effects and like interior monologues and everything, it just, it, it flows seamlessly. And so, yeah, kudos to you, you that, you know, you, you've really nailed the radio drama. Yeah. And I, I can't wait mind. to see the next one. Yeah. Theater of the Mind, yes. Well, you know, there's two things that go into that. One is that, when you're writing it, you know that you won't be showing anything. So you put things in the characters' mouths to describe the atmosphere. The other thing is that I relied on not one, but three different producers to make the the soundscape. The first one oh, is okay. this guy, this guy, Eric Harris, who created the show. You know, we kind of created the show together. In fact, uh, he had come to me right about the time um that i was uh doing that i was about to do the elroy boys and uh and he said hey man i've heard you on these various shows uh, you know doing guest spots or whatever and i think you should have your own show and i was like well and, and he said and i'll do he was a he's a music producer and musician and he not, said not I'll the do... columbine killer just to be clear <laughs> no <Yeah>. thankfully <laughs> that, I, you guys would should be really worried about me if i was describing him <laughs> Because I believe he, you know, ate his own gun. Yeah, yeah you'd um, have to be a supernatural figure. Yeah, an isolation yeah. chamber visitor, perhaps. Exactly. Maybe he should have been. Maybe he should have been. Um, yeah, in that dark isolation chamber episode. Yeah. The other that... guy in the basement. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. Um, I would love to talk about that. I would love to talk oh, yeah. about that episode. No, we want to yes. get into it. That's. Uh, uh, I have great affection for that. I I think I I love that episode so much, and I put a lot of myself into that one. Episode six. Yeah, that but, was but the, the favorite of mine. Just mm -hmm. clear. Yeah. And, and that one was done by Eric. You know, the music and stuff was done by Eric. Um. And he'd said, well, I, you know, you should do your own show and, and I'll help you do it. I'll do anything, you know. And I said, well, you know, un you know, unfortunately, you're catching me at a time where I'm already developed. You know, I'm already in development of this talk show. 
the Elroy boys with with Blaugeist and this guy Sam Dennis, who also is on the isolation yeah. chain. Yeah. And uh and I said, but maybe we can try something different, something weird, you know, something non not a talk show. And that's how we started doing the isolation chamber. And and he did the music, you know, and the audio stuff for the first um I believe it was like uh eight or 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 nine episodes. He did the first nine, I believe, and then and then he kind of dropped off the project. And then I got my brother, who's a really talented musician, to do the next two. And then he kind of, and then, you know, and then the last two were done by John Dios, who was like kind of a controversial Twitter personality, but also a musician. And I think that he didn't, all three of them did a fucking great job. I couldn't have done it without them. Yeah. And yeah. without excellent and work, couldn't have done it without them. Couldn't have done it without all of the people that were on it, which I mean, there's like too many to name, but a lot of real talents, uh, yeah. like, mutant is like i know that he has a, a great twitter you know presence it's one of the funniest twitter accounts out there but he's a really good actor too like he's yeah, hilarious man. like that line where he's just like uh i'm gonna stick my hand up your wife's ass <laughs> that was just it was just hilarious it's uh yeah. there's so many like lines like i thought that mutant walked away with it many times well you know and and on the very last episode finally um my mom is played by uh this woman martina martinez who is oh, like, yeah, yeah. She, she wrote um she wrote the story for terror house called paco that's really good and she was just yeah. on tales from the mall which people should subscribe and listen to that but um and she yeah. was on it before i didn't realize uh, that was her that's she's an incredibly yeah. talented like she just destroyed this part oh yeah she was and, great as your mom and so i'm writing a play uh for her a real like i'm hoping a stage play that she can be in and that will yeah so hopefully that's a great actress forward. yeah he's really talented really really good but there were so many great people i mean you know i mean there wasn't anyone that i would like you know i mean i just thought i i some parts i wrote with people in mind other people filled in the role and did an amazing job and um yeah but that but that you episode were very good like uh, kind of like teasing out all of these kind of insecurities while like kind of still like maintaining a kind of likable stage presence it uh it was it was really good okay and let me tell you let me tell you something about i finally you know i i started it in like february of um 21 i think is when the first episode came out and the last episode just came out this year and there was a significant right. delay between certain episodes. Um, but uh, I wanted to close the loop on it because all many of the crazy shit that I write about in the isolation chamber, it like opened up a portal in my life where these crazy shit would happen to me. Oh. Not always good. And, and things that happen on the show would happen to me. And it happened to other people that were involved in the show. And it was like, I got to put the lid on this motherfucker or else weird shit's going to keep happening. You know what I mean? Like, that's wild. you know, women coming to me and being like, I like you because you're uniquely sensitive and sweet women tricking (laughs) me, you know, um, you know, like that, that art journalist, Monica or whatever, you know, tricks Brendan in episode six relationships you know friendships and things imploding 
people dropping off care people who played characters acting out the, the things that happened to them between me and them on the show happened between me and them in real life oh wow God. i had to close the lid like <laughs> it's like yeah. like the show had a power yeah had to close the actually i had on the my uh one of my questions i wanted to ask was like you know so how did you decide to um to bring the show to a close and that is perhaps a that is perhaps three or four times as satisfying an answer as i would have anticipated um well and the other thing was was that when eric and i first were developing the show we were like we're going to do 13 episodes like arbitrarily kind of yeah and so i stuck to that like yeah no yeah so that was another thing but yeah it was was, it was was weird Definitely sounds weird without prying too much further into it because I under, I appreciate those probably personal stuff that was basic because I was gonna ask like what what was the not in a negative way but what was the deal with the timeline it was like what is it ten or eleven episodes all in twenty twenty one maybe two last year and one this year it's a very strange timeline but I can appreciate if there was a intersection yeah. in life well thing. one other thing is that tales from the mall took over my life okay. Yeah. You know, and I mean, when I first started Tales from the Mall, I wasn't just doing I was putting out two episodes a week. I remember you nice. were very and doing short film video promotions like that. Yeah, I remember the video really intensive. Like, oh, yeah. Video yes. editing is no picnic. And I imagine you did that yourself. No, I had a guy. I had a, oh, this amazing uh, video editor. So. His name is Matt. He's like a, a genius. And then eventually, like that was too much work. And so I just started doing like little ambient videos to promote it, but I still stick with that. Still do a video for every episode. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah. But before it was like I, you know, I there'd be these like mall, these like really intricate mall vibes videos, or we'd tell a story, and there was a lot of acting and shooting. And oh, I remember like your one with um, uh, Sandra Solomon, uh, Ubermensch, who was also on. Yeah. Um. Sorry, it was also on Isolation Chamber. I remember I remember that video was like, wow, this is a quite intricately edited. There was one where you're not to yeah, we'll talk more about Isolation Chamber, but we can talk about like whatever. Naked. You were naked in the desert. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, 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 I was. That was, a that was the one with Sandra, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? Um I, I went my parents live in rural Arizona. And so I knew of like I knew like just ha- go- having gone hiking in the in that area and stuff like I knew where there were like little dirt patches on the side of the road where you could like park your car and yeah. like, get out and go into the desert off trail. And so I kind of knew of places where I could go be nude in the desert. Which oh, yeah. was fortunate because I wouldn't want to be registered as a sex offender or whatever. Okay, I actually have to clarify something about that. We could continue your story. No, I that's just, it. There's a there's a weird bit of uh of internet um uh, of Twitter back and forth that I that I should clarify. My friend uh Robert Stark, who's probably on your radar, I remember at that time he left you a comment like, isn't this bad paperwork? And you were like, uh, what's your meaning or something? I don't know. Uh and I don't know if you you thought he was being a dick or something. Uh to clarify on behalf of Robert, Robert um is like very obsessed with like the 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 laws in Arizona pertaining to like the I don't know, he has a like a, a weird fixation on like um the possibility of like getting arrested on like a sex offender charge and like where, where the worst places in the country to have that happen to you are. And he has some idea that Arizona is one of the worst places. So uh just to clarify on Robert's behalf, I think that's what he was um 
getting at, but that's neither. Well, that's very right. frightening. It is well, very I mean, frightening. As yeah. Arizona is trending blue, perhaps that uh, you know trend will uh, decrease, and Arizona <laughs> will become a free for all for uh, sexual deviancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> well, yeah, oh, yeah, you may be in luck. For you. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> I, can't, I probably derailed the conversation bringing that up, but oh well. <laughs> but um, that's okay. So I'm curious, what was the uh, the video for the episode with Howling Mutant and uh, and Jacob? Because it seems like those guys would lend themselves to like a really interesting promo. Well, you know that that so so I did a couple episodes with Howling Mutant and Jacob, and and the most recent one, oh, the was Halloween like, one, the Halloween still, special. Yeah, and you know this is and this is in the post. Like, like I said, I had that video editor guy helping me and his name was Matt. And this was the post, this was post Matt when I did that. And so all I did was I, at the mall where I recorded the vast majority of the episodes, um, the audio, uh, hmm. is called the Arizona Mills mall. Yeah, and okay. during Halloween season, what used to be the Sears, what used to be the Sears is basically just like an empty gigantic portion of the mall that they'll use as they'll use it one for a while it was like bouncy house mania and there were just bounce houses in there and they'll do that part of the year and then they'll have like convention like you know like little conventions where people sell stuff like sneakers and stuff like that well during halloween it becomes a spirit halloween store mm-hmm. oh, okay and so cool. i went into the spirit halloween and i took a bunch of video and i slowed it down and put some spooky music over it and some audio from that episode um and that was basically it you know real simple you know okay yeah well one real like strength of that episode and i think a lot of the tales from the mall episodes is you are having your friends on people that not always but often people you already know and like that lends itself to like a fun good conversation like uh for instance i think on new right I mean, we haven't had, I think, um, you know, people will be upset if I'm wrong here, but I think our only return guest was Kevin Kautzman so far. And right. I think our second episode with him was, um, you know, a lot more you know, entertaining than our first, just because we had like that rapport. We have that, you know, kind of friendliness back and forth going. And like, that's like perfect. Like if you can build a big network of like interesting people and just have them on again and again. Like you're going to get the best conversations because that conversation between you, Jacob and mutant, like you were just like really just shooting the shit. And it was like, it was fun. And like, like there is that moment where like um, mutant, I think was talking about dressing up as terrorists for Halloween or something, or maybe it was Jacob. I I forget who was dressed up as the uh, the terror, the Ayatollah or something, but like you guys just like, you know, dunking on it and riffing it. uh, That was really funny. Well, I'm glad you think so. And yeah, I mean, I love to have my friends on the show. I, I love to have Jacob on. He's, he's a really close friend of mine who, you know, I know, you know, like I've, I've been to his house a few times and, um, who, by the way, is like one of the most visionary people I've ever met. And mm. Apocalypse Confidential and all of its success is because of his instincts and his vision yeah. and getting the right guys. Awesome. You know, yeah. Asking the right guys like Max Thrax, who you had on and yeah. and all of the guys, you know, Tom Will. Yeah. This books editor that we've got. 
his name is Bill and he's been on the show and will be on my show and Hermes Thurston, who's like kind of a, you know, he's like, he knows a lot about web 3.0 and, and then um, we've got this guy, um, uh, this new guy, Tolly, who's going to do some merch for us. And he's a character and I've met him. And then Dawson, who's the fiction editor, who's just like a really, Oh yeah. Dawson. I know him. A savant, you know, and, and, and so it's, and, and I think that's a testament to Jacob where he's like, he knows who's going to be good, you know? Yeah. 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 He seems like a real kind of, as you say, visionary and like someone with uh, a sense of like uh, being a, a quiet leader. Like he knows how to direct people. He knows how to like pick the best people, like all of the kind of like qualities that not to get too political that, uh, we uh, we wish Trump had had. <laughs> yeah, well, I would say that Jacob really is uh, Caesar with the soul of Christ. Yeah, high praise. <laughs> but uh, yeah, cool. No, like, is that Nietzsche? Is that I don't know. You guys, you guys I don't know. Good. It sounds like a great concept. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but yeah, no, definitely. I think to to kind of pair it with Dan had said, I think both Tales from the Mall and. Um, isolation chamber i mean uh, you talk about uh obviously jacob is 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 good as a as a as a leader but uh but also with your pod brandon i would pay you that compliment like you know it's very much the product of your mind but you really you know let um bring out the best in your in your guests and your collaborators and and that's one of the things that's so exciting about about your work and about Thank the isolation you. chamber too it's like this uh you know the camaraderie of everyone involved is uh, was one of the one of the highlights for sure. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, camaraderie. In fact, oh, go on. I'm sorry. I don't want you to catch you. Up. I think camaraderie is like one of the most important things on earth. Uh, you know, when when football players retire, the thing that they miss the most usually is the camaraderie. You know, yeah, like they, they don't have good. that. They don't have that. Guys going into battle feeling. You know, and I definitely yeah. have that. And we get that with Apocalypse Confidential, too. Yeah. No, listening to Isolation Chamber, I was, like, impressed both by the execution, the quality. And I'm like, wow, uh, Brendan actually knows, like, a lot of talented people who, like, you know, hook up with him and do work with him. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, that that that's a, you know, that's an incredible feeling to, to, to reach out to somebody out of the blue and be like, do you want to do this? And then being like, oh, I would love to. Absolutely. Instead of being like, what's this about? Like. Yeah. Who are you? Like, you know, you know, those kinds of things. And so I love, I love that feeling, you know, I chase that. That's why I do what I do. Thrill the chase. Yes. So uh, another part that we wanted to bring up in uh, isolation chamber is, um, God, I don't know, maybe this will come off as a little too, um, a little too pussy or something, but um, <laughs> there's the the sense that you like uh, expressed, and I, I not you necessarily the character you and Brendan, this desire to be uh, loved the way you want to be loved, which is to say to be understood by your partner. And I had a kind of like semi-viral tweet that went around saying like uh, women parentheses like. I want him to love me for the real me, men, parentheses. Uh, I hope that she 
Uh, how, how do I put this? Uh, under no circumstances can she discover the real me. Mm-hmm. And so there's like this real kind of like, I feel um, dichotomy and kind of like sense that like, if you're a man, you shouldn't strive to be understood by your partner because that exposes a level of vulnerability that she will then like not respect you for or whatever or like or maybe there's stuff that's just like kind of like wrong or gross or you know whatever but like nevertheless i think that is a strong instinct i feel it myself i'll you know say like i 100 want to feel understood by my you know my my girl so like it's um you know it's it's something that i think uh guys on our side whatever that means uh the, the e uh-huh. right the frogs are just kind of like you know that's not uh part of the equation why you do they don't, they don't need to understand you you just need to you know uh have them and keep them happy and you know and do your projects but like to me that's kind of like um you know, not, not a full relationship, not a full, uh, not a full union. I would what have do to you agree. think about that, Brandon? I would have to agree. Well, you know, one of the things that I picked up, uh, you know, I, I've gone through a lot of different phases of, you know, of, of what my, you know, uh, you know, deep intellectual influences are, and then also what more superficial atmospheric things that I consider to be true and you know I went through a phase where I was like reading like you know fucking Rolo Tomasi or what you know that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I have 100% I have he's right terrible there, yeah. he's terrible and um artiste the godfather yeah, yeah, sure. of them all and, and and these things like it just the problem that I have with them is that they're asking you to put on this like to to basically perform this character mm-hmm. 24/7 you can't let your guard down with your partner with women and it sounds like well why even like that sounds really stressful why even bother yeah you know, exactly why even bother and i'm not you know and not even 100% that it works um you know and and what kind of person are you attracting who needs like this heavy the heavy hand of basically what sounds to me like an alcoholic father you know or something <laughs> like that um yeah. the point i'm just making is that a relationship should be somewhere where you feel comfortable and let your guard down a respite like you know i mean i'm not saying like there's a difference between wallowing in self-pity and like uh, you know uh, overdoing it with a partner and i've certainly done that in the past like where i just like became this pathetic animal but um yeah because you are working because like because you're working hard and and the waves of society are crashing on you and you're fighting the good fight and in you know you're going and um you know working hard in the world whether it's like the corporate world or whatever you need a safe harbor like isn't that the point of a relationship yeah and furthermore there's a an idea that you are actually giving you're giving when you expose yourself, you know, you're, 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 you're sending, you're, you're, you're give, communicating a message of love when you're being vulnerable by saying like, I trust you. Yeah. I care about you enough that I want you to see me how I really am. 
I think is especially true of artists, right? Like if, you know, you, you have a light as we'll get into talking about on uh, the uh, isolation chamber, the concept of light and dark. But if you think you have this light within you, not only do you want to share it with the public, but you especially want to share it with your woman. You sure. want her to, to see and appreciate that. And like, that's like, you know, if you're kind of this, artiste version of like i'm always gonna make you think i don't like you that's like not really going to she's not going to see your light she's going to see this kind of like fake image of like kind of masculine um domination or whatever that you construct to you know kind of maintain relational supremacy yeah. and like that's something that i think would be hard to maintain consistently and and perhaps you know uh very uh hurtful for you you not just her but you personally to maintain with consistency for anyone but i think especially for an artist because like so much of like you know your enjoyment out of life comes from having your thoughts understood yeah i agree i i think i think the real risk the real risk that they don't talk about is that when you put your you know when you become vulnerable when you show yourself you say something you say what you need or what you want and that and it doesn't go well and you're not getting it, it it's not being reciprocated or not being understood that's a hard moment yeah that maybe some people just don't want to deal with you know um yeah well that think... happens in the isolation chamber right with the the first uh <laughs> performance art oh god well, that was a bad, like, you know, like I had this idea that it was, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what changed, um, but just this idea that, uh, you know, that Brendan was kind of a, you know, he wasn't too self-aware and, and his ideas were bad, you know, a little yeah. Spencer-esque. Yeah, yeah, sex. exactly. You know, that definitely, definitely that um, I think, uh, you know, it's just, I, you know, when I when I read stuff like um like the that the that red pill stuff or whatever, it's just like yeah. asking me to act in ways that are foreign to me. And I don't really want like I'm just I don't even want to be that guy. Like if that's the price to have a relationship, a price to be with women like I just like maybe I don't. First of all, there's six billion people on the planet, so uh you, you know for this to for for this to encompass so you know and i don't yeah. know no, three billion of them are women you know or whatever yeah for this to describe all of them you know it's not um possible yeah. probably not anyway possible. Yeah. and so it's a uh, you know it, it might be useful for some guys who who can spurgs you know got guys who just don't have like an intuition about how to, you know, like here's some guidelines, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't think that they're, I think that they'd be better off reading like um, the sleepy time bear on Twitter or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, like it depends uh, on uh, yeah. various like personal aspects and unfortunately like physical and status aspects, <laughs> but yeah. uh, beyond, beyond that, um, you know, I, it sounds trite or silly, but like oftentimes you're just going to do better being yourself. And, no, I you think know, that's... Because that comes with a certain need of confidence. If you're just actually not putting on an act, you're going to be more confident because you're just being you. That's true. 
I think at the deeper level of some of those PUA type guys, some of them did understand that to a certain degree, at least. And, you know, you mentioned delicious tacos being on tales from the mall earlier. I haven't heard that episode, but he's, he's kind of a guy who walked the line, uh, the, the line from, you know, he, he was kind of part of that PUA scene a little bit, but I think now what, not that he's even an advocate, he's mostly like a, an auto fiction writer, but, but nevertheless, um, he's someone who I think understands, uh, that there's, uh, there's more to it than than the Hartis thing and that there's a, there is a value to the vulnerability even if even if hopefully some of that vulnerability is counteracted by masculinity as well nevertheless you know well i think one thing is that okay first of all i'll say this like uh, like that rollo tomasi guy or whatever like there's something wrong with that guy like okay like he's just he's his own guy like and he has his own view of the world and part of his philosophies are projections of whatever's going on. The Hartiste thing seemed to me to come out of a context of like that, like mid Atlantic PUA scene, like a Washington DC. Yeah. There yeah. was something going where on. it was like, we live in, you know, like, like we're just, we're just trying to get laid at nightclubs and we're dealing with women that we don't even really care about. And DC is a cesspool of for dating anyway. So this is not a context where we can really explore all of the dimensions of male female relationships. We're just talking about like, here's a, a way specific to... time and place for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good. I mean, uh, not even to get too derailed on PUA stuff, but as we no, it's one of my favorite second... topics, by the way. What's that? Oh, cool. I'm a scholar yeah. of the of PUA. Yeah, no, I mean, I, think up. And I have both. Not that I'm both. good at it, but. Yeah, no, I think a lot or of us tried it even really. Stuff. Yeah, no, same, same. We get our second episode yeah, we, on Houston, though. Like, I think that some of his manosphere to up. literature pipeline. Yeah, we call uh, it the manosphere to literature pipeline. And I think that a lot of Hartee's writing is actually very good. And a lot of his kind of more philosophical or sociological insights are actually pretty sound. And frankly, not yeah. that I've tried much, but his game advice is probably sound. But still, it's like, so he's probably better than, than Tomasi and some of these other guys. But nevertheless, it's like, yeah, as you said, um, it's kind of a specific time and place. And it's a very negative, very negative <laughs> outlook on things. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's dark. Too yeah. dark for me. I like light. Right. Well, I think we wanted to talk a little more about some of uh, that that element of isolation chamber, the the interplay of dark versus light. Dan, you had a way of putting it, you know, and maybe it's a silly, maybe it's a silly question in a way, but, you know. Do you, that, I guess that idea of the artist as the bringer of light, and we've talked about this a bit already, but the yeah. artist as the bringer of light really, really resonates. Yeah. So yeah, the, the concept of the light versus darkness that I thought was a really like ingenious way of kind of like weaving this into the plot and into the story. And uh, it, it really, you know, it's going to sound trite or it's going to sound, uh, you know, self-serious, but it resonated with me because this idea that like, there are certain individuals with light and they have these ideas and they have these, you know, things that they, if you don't share your light with the world, you'll, um, you know, it'll go, it'll go cold and you'll, you know, freeze to death or whatever. And it, it resonated with me on a few levels because like they're kind of, you know, I've at times like maybe earlier in my twenties or whatever, kind of felt like, um, I wished I had light, but I wasn't sure. 
And it's like, you know, you kind of like, you think like, oh, I think I have the makings of someone who has light and can contribute. But then you like kind of sit down to do something and you're like, well, none of this is any good. I don't know how to organize my thoughts. I don't know how to. But then like it got to a certain point where like probably around the time where I wrote Nutcranker, where like my thoughts really began to crystallize. I kind of like developed a worldview and I'm like, well, actually now I truly can write what I want to write. And I, I'm ready to really start contributing my my light, as it were, to the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, And then it became a matter of like, you got to find the time to do this, even though it hurts, even though it like hurts in terms of like taking time from other things, be it from family, from relationships, from work, (laughs) from sleep. Yes. But you just, you know, nevertheless, you have to do it because like, if you don't, I mean, it's, it's kind of like this kind of weird thing, right. Where it's like, yeah, you know, ultimately kind of like, who cares if you don't share your light, it's like, you're not literally going to freeze to death. But the thing is, it's kind of like, and this gets into a little bit of, you know, uh, religion perhaps or something. Like if you feel that you have these thoughts, ideas, qualities that, um, that once you, once you die, they'll, they'll be go away forever. You have a kind of like a God given duty almost to express them while you're here to get them out there into the world while you still can and like that's why like when i was done with nutcranker i like i felt a great sense of relief (laughs) i felt a sense of relief that like okay you can uh, not that i want to but like if you got hit by a car tomorrow and there were no more damn baltic uh well you got nutcranker out and that will live on and that's just kind of like i did it i still don't have children gotta get working on that but <laughs> i got nutcranker out <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i think i think that it's like would be um wrong it would be selfish if, if you had any inkling that you had something to say uh that people needed to hear that you don't say it because that was a big thing for me um uh was just that oh well i'm just everybody has something to say, you know, and, and, and everybody's saying something, everybody's got some project. That's what it feels like. Right. Because, because when you're contributing to a space where it's kind of like creative, a community of creative people, well, of course, everybody is making something that's the community that you're in, but it feels like that every, that all 8 billion people on earth are doing that. And so you kind of feel like you don't want to like contribute to the pollution you know, you yeah, almost no, look I've at had that feeling too. It's like I, pollution. I, yeah. yeah. I've actually, and, when Dan, I think I've said this on this pod before, when Dan first said we should start a podcast, I was like, there's too many podcasts. But I'm glad we did it, of course. So yeah, yeah. I, I get what you mean. Like I've had that sense. Uh, but I think you're also right that it's maybe a little artificial. We're on a creative sphere of Twitter. And yeah, of course, what else are you going to do? You're just going to post about politics all day? No, you're going to have some kind of project, some kind of podcast, some kind of writing project, probably both. <laughs> Um, and it's, yeah, it's nothing to be dissuaded by. I think I've said this maybe on Astral's podcast or somewhere, but the way to look at it isn't like, oh, there's too much. It's like, you gotta, and actually, you know what, um, Brennan, I think you talked about this maybe with John 
Dios or someone who's a musician, how I actually, it's res it stuck with me on Tales from the Mall, how it's like, you almost have to look at it and it's almost a tired metaphor, but still like the, like the punk scene, quote unquote, or like the independent music scene where it's like, yeah, of course everyone has a band and people open up for each other. Um, and maybe there's only like a uh, hundred people in the crowd, but like, you're still playing to those people and you got to embrace that. Um, you got to embrace the, the multiplicity of it. And you know, you're not going to listen to everything. You got to find your people and stay with them. Uh, because yeah, everyone is bringing some kind of light into the world uh, as gay as well, that may sound. <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing that you have to do is, and, and it sounds like Dan, you did this, you know, when you were just, what you were just describing. Uh, and I, I heard this from a guy who's an actor that in order to be good, uh, you have to assume your own brilliance. Yeah, I'm, I think it's true. There's really no other way, like, yeah. because you need that. You need the confidence to say, like, like if you got something risky that you want to try or whatever, and you're just like, well, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm not that good. So I'm not going to try that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I think you do need to you need to have that bedrock belief but i ironically you like while you're writing it i think you have to let go of that so like if i'm writing something and i'm thinking like this has to be really good this has to be you know live up to my expectations i'll just get too in my head and i won't be able to write well yeah so when i'm writing i just tell myself you know this is probably shit you're probably going to, you know, just keep only, you know, read it yourself, never share it with anyone. So just like go wild, go buck wild. But uh, yeah, oh, that's, no, I mean, that's like, a good point. Yeah. That's like I, another, I feel like that's like the flip side. Like you either say like, this is probably shit anyway that I got to do it. So it doesn't matter. Or you say, but I feel like the, the other way of doing that, it's actually it, ironically, I think it ends up being a similar thing when you say anything I do is brilliant. There, it's either way you're getting to that point point of yeah. saying it doesn't no, matter that's true. and that's how you let loose yeah exactly so either, you have either to... where it's you say there's no consequences or just assume like it's just tomato tomato yeah, yeah you have to find a way to convince yourself that it doesn't matter that's how true. people are judging you well and that's you know, the way and that's, you produce good art. and that's kind of what i had to do with the isolation chamber because i was so i was like Oh my God, what if it's cringe? Like, what if it's what if it's the worst and like everybody thinks it sucks? Or 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 even worse than that, nobody clicks on it. Nobody clicks on it. Like, and it just goes out. And you're just like one of those people who's just like, you know, sometimes they'll peep there's there's those people who like have zero followers on Twitter and they'll yeah. post like it'll just be like, Hey, here's my podcast, and it's like a SoundCloud link, and it's like not even there's not even like an image or anything you know, and it gets zero likes or whatever. And you're just kind of imagining yourself yeah. as that person. And it's a horrible thing. And and I was like that. I would have to do that. I would go through that phase and then I would go through the phase. Don't worry about it. This, this isn't for that reason. It's just, it's just for you to, to get it out. That's, that's the forge. That's the real work is getting it out. Eric told me, he said, that's when I was working with Eric, what people think of it is none of your business. Okay. Your business is move on to the next thing. So I was okay. I would do, I was, so I'd go to work with that attitude. Like nobody, nobody's going to listen to it anyway. Doesn't matter. And then I would do it. And then it would be like, this is the best fucking thing that has ever been written. And I'm yeah. going to be, I, Amazon is going to approach me and say, we want you to develop a prime series and every, you know, you're going to get your, you know, everybody's going to think you're great. 
everybody's going to think it's genius because it is genius because I'm totally relaxed and I'm making something genius out of that state. And then I would get hyped up and then it would come back to me like, but what if nobody gets it and nobody likes it and, and it sucks and it's actually cringe as fuck. And, and then I would go, okay, just do it. Nobody cares. And it was that cycle over and over and over again, you know? Yeah, no, I've, I'm familiar with that cycle as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, weird thing. Obviously, you do want an audience, but you can't think about uh, that while you're making. Those people who say th- those people who say I, I don't care if anybody reads it. I don't care if 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 uh, you know I'm doing it for myself. They are, you know, and maybe they're lying to themselves for good reason for reasons that we've illuminated yeah. that they need to. But they are 100 percent lying that they're yeah, full no, of shit. You, you do it absolutely, it but you also can't do it for audience. It's a weird. It's another one of those sort of not contradictory, but like one of those tensions that that creates art. I think um, <clears throat> to sort like of a, double think. Yeah, double yeah. think for a, a contemporary liter liter contemporary literature soundbite reference here. Uh, Brett Easton Ellis's last book, The Shards. Uh, he dedicated to no one and has kind of um, like he 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 wrote like this is dedicated to no one. Um, and he has kind of um, talked about it in his podcast as like basically what we're talking about, that you can't you ha- all literature. And, you know, he's obviously a very celebrated author, and but says like you cannot write or he does not write for anyone else. It's It's just a process of letting something out. And it has to it has to be that way. That's the only way you can create. And yeah. um, I've always liked that, like. Um, not that I'm, uh, you, you know, like, I started to realize I was doing, I'm not saying I'm the best writer in the world, but doing something right with regard to writing and even doing something right with regard to podcasting and other forms of creativity when I when I started to think similarly. Like that, because I'd heard people like Brett and others say, like, it has to be for you. Um, you know, you can't worry what anyone else thinks. It has to be something that you're letting out of yourself that you feel you need to let out, which, again kind of the story of the isolation chamber yeah um, light you need to share or perhaps even some darkness you need to exercise and turn into light perhaps um once i started thinking that way about what i was doing that's how i knew not not necessarily to speak to its quality but that i was doing it right i guess because as an early like teenager trying to write it's like what, what what do i even do beyond putting words on a page like how do i know if i'm doing it right and i think right. once i started to think like that that's when i realized okay this is what art is it's this um exclamation of something from from inside of you where you you would do it i mean i think you're right that i think people who say like i don't care if people read my work i do think they're probably lying um but i think there is something to be said for like i would do it even if i knew no one would read it um which interesting maybe that's maybe that's kind of masochistic and stupid in of itself but i actually do think that's true for me like i would do a lot of the creative stuff I do, whether or not there was ever an audience, because I feel I need to. But yeah, interesting. I I would definitely do. I would I would do visual art if I didn't think anybody would look at it. Yeah, I guess podcast. Yeah. I wouldn't pod. You're right. Podcast, I I, I, I don't know if I would do the writing because that that it's it's really hard. Yeah. But I had this artist on um, Tales from the Mall. Her name is Petra Courtright, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a really talented visual artist and really her work is um really extraordinary and she's and we were talking about some of the barriers to starting to doing it to doing the work that's something that people say all the time do the work it's kind of gay but anyway um uh 
Put she said, "Well, yeah. well, if I if I don't feel like working, or if I'm if, you know feeling a lot of um, you know resistance, I'll just say this is a practice. This is I'm just practicing on this one. Yeah, dude, that I'll is that. golden. That is golden advice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what I mean when I'm just like, no one has to see it. No one has yeah. to like." You're just, you know, you never give up a bedrock belief that like you're contributing valuable things, but you know that you're not going to get it right every time. And like, so not every time you put your pen to page means it's going to be golden. You just need to, you know, kind of trust that you'll eventually produce good stuff and you just got to, you know, get it out there and know that like, you're going to do your best stuff when no one is watching. So yeah, yeah. when true. you're not watching yourself rather. Yeah. And that, that, that's really even more important because, because, you know, you got to go unconscious. Yeah. You yeah, got to go unconscious days. and that's where the good, that's when the good feelings as well as the good shit on, comes out on the page, yeah. but also but, the good feeling of like, this isn't coming from me. Well, yeah. it goes back to the original metaphor you spoke about, which is, um you know, the isolation chamber as that state of mind, not the, not necessarily a literal suspension tank, but, but some kind of, yeah, and with meditation too, like some kind of focus honed in on the pure power of creativity, the light. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, which uh, you know, it's a powerful idea that I think really comes across in isolation chamber. Obviously, like I think I think I really do think it's very profound. You know, obviously there's an element of comedy to the isolation chamber. There's something very unassuming about a lot of your work, but it goes deep very fast, I find. And and I think the philosophical content that we're now talking about in terms of uh being a creative person and art, I think is um some some very profound stuff. Um thank you. Well yeah. you know okay so one other thing about the light and 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 I think this is kind of comes to um, it. It really, I begin to elucidate this from episode six onward and six is kind of a turning point. And what happens in episode six is Brendan has had his first performance and it's just trashed on NPR <laughs> by like a Latinx NPR yeah. art reviewer. And, uh, and he's completely devastated, but then this like really attractive uh, art journalist shows up at his house and she's like really into the work she's really into him and she says let's take you to the ice let's take you to the isolation chamber and you should go in and i've also got this pill that you should take and then he takes the pill and instead and he has this just like absolutely like nightmare experience right. in which he meets this um incest pornographer and then he, uh, this kid starts telling him about going down to the basement where he's actually killed, you know, where he's actually like killed himself. And then he meets this woman who he thinks is his, this little girl who he thinks is his sister. But then she reveals she's actually his aborted daughter. Right. And the whole thing is just like super traumatic. One of the and best then, episodes in the series. Definitely. Thank you. Brendan and, hears a who, right? Go on. Yeah. Brendan <laughs> hears a who, right. Yeah. And so, um, the uh from then on we find out that there's this conspiracy against brendan uh, from these people that are have embraced darkness and uh this comes from an idea that if you have light and i'm not just talking about 
this idea that you might be a creative person, but if you're somebody who believes in, um, you know, who just wants to spread goodwill, good cheer, love, that there are a multitude of forces that will get, that will try and bring you down and in, in re in, in just atmospherically, but also in fact, I think that negative people see people who are, you know, who, who are staying, trying to stay above ground and they try and bring them down, you know, they try and, they try and interrupt what's happening and you can sometimes attract those people into your life. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, that's kind of where the conspiracy of darkness originated from. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's not, yeah. I mean, as, as you kind of allude to in the, in the, in the show, um, you know, not everyone is purely dark or light and sometimes the darkness might just be distraction. Perhaps maybe it's not someone who's truly evil or dark at core, but I mean, it's something I think a lot about too. It's, it's again, not to, to, to pimp my own book. That's not even released yet, but my pimp it, baby, out, you know, this is your podcast. I guess I, you know, I guess you're, I can, you got books I, to sell. But I was I was saying this to Dan and we'll talk about Nutcranker in a second, too. So we'll do some more pimping. But um, yeah, my new book is called The Black Album. And it's kind of um, there's this central alchemical. It's a collection of short stories and essays, but they're all kind of around what I would call like a central sort of alchemical theme about uh, a fairly basic um a fairly basic notion within within art but a sort of alchemically tinged notion about like converting dark energy into light uh, and also kind of um get obsessive at parts about like just um how hard it is to be a creative person you you mentioned like kind of people who try to bring you down but then i just also think with with working a full-time job with other various demands the other shit of life uh you know kind of pulling you down that's another tension that i'm like trying to work through in that and i think from a slightly different angle i think isolation chamber talks about that stuff and um i wasn't really because i'm writing this book and i'm listening to your uh to the radio drama at the same time and it kind of wasn't until last night when i was talking through dan about our outline that i was like oh wow actually the sort of philosophic similarity between this dark and light interplay is actually very very similar to to what i'm trying to work on as well 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 and this this is the thing about being um somebody with who tries to accomplish something on in an un, in an unconventional way and and that's what you know artists are unconventional people they live unconventional lives and they try and they take risks and they put themselves out there and people close to you when you try to do that will have a number of reactions and uh i think that they won't some people that won't understand it and they'll be afraid for you they'll be afraid yeah. for you People who love you will be afraid for you. They'll afraid that you'll fail, that you will hurt yourself in some way. And then there are other people who are have ambitions, but too afraid to act on them for good yeah. reason. Okay. And I I honestly believe that most people are doing their best. So if I say something about if I say something unflattering about other people or whatever. Don't get me wrong. Like people are doing their best. A lot of people have pent up ambitions, pent up light that they don't yeah. use. Perhaps and when they see other people that. using it, proje- they start to project. They start to that that's yeah. they're triggered. Yeah. And so I think that when you when when somebody embarks on this path, 
that they're going to trigger people in their lives in those one of those two ways. You know, either they're going to scare them, they're going to be afraid for them, or it's going to trigger their own pent up ambition that they're not using. Yeah. And they're going to get they're going to have they're going to be confused. I'm not saying that they'll be that they'll be jealous, but that their own yeah. unused light yeah. will be start expressing people, itself in dark ways. Definitely. And people people like to have their own sort of decisions and existential decisions validated. So when you, there's someone yes. who made an opposite decision, it can be very triggering. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to to and for some people. They succumb to the temptation to then dismiss. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, profound stuff. People yeah. don't like to see other people succeed when uh, they fear that uh, those people are exercising avenues that they themselves had or have the ability to access but choose not to. Yes, that's true. Which, and again, I, as you said, Brandon, everyone's doing their best. It's in a money-driven world. Um, late capitalism. Late capitalism. Not even <laughs> about it you know it's just it makes it is it is actually like a possibly stupid decision and especially when you're dealing with um controversial corners of twitter for instance um which you know obviously we have knowledge of like there you are you always are like putting yourself a little bit at risk to things that could fuck with like your life um but it's worth it i hope so you know i I mean i quit i quit a job i quit a very high paying job you know to to work on projects full time and everybody nice. thought it was insane. And I mean, I'm, I haven't even taken that leap. And I my financial situation. I, I won't, I won't let, I, I, I'll just, uh, I, I admire that is what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to be like, Oh, that was silly. No, I think that's great. And I have, well, I mean, it was a little myself. premature. It was a little premature. I mean, you Sometimes know, my, it's gotta fi- be there. Yeah. my financial situation is not good. You know, uh, subscribe to tales from the wall. I have a job yeah. now. Yeah. I have a job now that's not as good as the one I had. It doesn't pay as well. Gives me a lot more, you know, it's way less stressful. And like I said, I mean, you make, you have to make unconventional choices and live an unconventional life sometimes, you know, I'm not saying that everybody, that's not a requirement of this vocation. It's not a requirement. In in fact, if you can balance it, then you're better off. Yeah. Uh, I had trouble with that. It's true, though. Stressful jobs, they take it out of you. Just last night, I was uh, talking with Matt how during right after COVID, my sector of the legal industry kind of ground to a halt. I had a lot of free time. So I was spending two to three hours a day writing Nutcranker. And I wrote it in about five months. And as my industry began to pick up as COVID lifted, I, um, you know, the first full week that was like a real, you know, full work week again, I was like, oh, this is terrible because (laughs) yeah, yeah, suddenly I I lost the kind of the life that I feel like, you know, best maximized my abilities and talent. And I felt in harmony with, which was like writing two or three hours a day, going on long walks and like making healthy dinners and watching movies. And like, you know, that is not something that you can really maintain while having being a lawyer or whatever you are. And like, so now like I have to choose. It's like, well, you're going to kind of carve out maybe a little bit of time in the morning to write. You're going to have to, you know, you can't do this that weekend because you want to 
write, you want to do this or that, you want to keep a podcast going, you like, you have to make all sorts of choices and it becomes a situation where you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's true. That is true. Um, so, but you, but you had the opportunity to write your book, you know, w- with some downtime. Absolutely. Would have been nice. very difficult to do without downtime. Yeah. And how did you fortunately say it's so, so, I mean, you, by the way, you use this, like, um, that like kind of the picaresque vernacular, you know, the picaresque prose style, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. The entire book modeled somewhat on the Confederacy of dances. I see. I see. And, and did you, and, and so well, that was something that you knew when you started you were going to do? No. I. Uh, so it's very interesting because like I kind of wrote and wrote until I found Spencer's voice and then kind of let him, like I had vague ideas of where I wanted the plot to go, but nothing too concrete. And I let Spencer take me where I, you know, where he wanted to go. And so after finishing it, finishing it, I, uh, I read a... Uh, I, I don't read the New Yorker often these days because uh, there's not much good in it, but there was an interesting article about Ignatius J. Riley, the main character of a Confederacy of Dunces and how he was a sort of proto edge Lord. And so that kind of reawakened my interest <laughs> in the novel, which I read a, a while ago. And so I picked it up again and I started reading it and I realized, Holy shit. Spencer is mm-hmm. just like Ignatius. My pro style is somewhat similar to that of John Kennedy tools. And, uh, and indeed the thematic content is somewhat similar as well. So I like to think of it as a kind of spiritual heir to a Confederacy of dunces. I've done an episode of art of darkness with Brad and Kelly on uh, Brad and Kevin, Brad Kelly and oh, Kevin Katzman yeah. on uh, John Kennedy Tool, and to an extent, Nutcranker's relationship to a Confederacy of Dunces. Um, yeah, that was a pod episode of Art of Darkness. And we've done an episode of New Right called yeah, On the Consolation of Podcasting, one of our favorites, which is about a Confederacy of Dunces and Nutcranker and outsiders writing uh writing literature and, and tool was an outsider par excellence the guy you know he effing killed himself so wow yeah well yeah well it's, <laughs> it's it's uh it's really um like amazing um that it just like it just it hits and keeps on hitting with like the humorous lines and i Thank mean you. just like the, some of the choices that you made like uh I'm trying to think there was one where I don't know, like, like just even like little things, like when he chooses to call red wine, he calls it vino or whatever. <laughs> yeah. or, um, alcoholic yeah. vino. Yeah. Alcoholic vino. That was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> like, um, like, like there's unalcoholic. Vino. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was really good. And so what an accomplishment. Thank you, man. Um, I'm, I'm happy you enjoyed it. I would like to write a book, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe this year, maybe not. Yeah, no, well, I bet you have it in you. You like, yeah. I mean, the, the isolation chamber was awesome. And mm-hmm. like the humor, like I was laughing out loud at the beginning where like uh, the one of the voices, um, I, I forget which one exactly, but was calling you a pig man. And you're like, yeah. I'm not a pig. I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And like that refrain was just so, so hilarious. 
yeah. it uh and like a lot of like mutants like goon moments like the i'm gonna stick my hand up your ass <laughs> <laughs> it's uh very very mutant well i'm glad you liked it i i hope that people will listen to it um it's out there it's on you know it's on apple and spotify you just type in the isolation chamber so that's right yeah, no. amazing wait. episode yeah. art too like you type it in and uh there is like brendan looking like he's about mm-hmm. to go into an isolation chamber um, yeah a little a little nervous maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah look at it yeah that there. that that was art that i commissioned from a really talented guy named um sam spano who's oh a, yeah and a, he was on the the pod as well he was on, yeah and uh, he did voices on the pod so and he was on tales from the mall a couple times so nice. he's a good guy i like him yeah definitely I listen. I listened to your guys's um, episode about Entourage. Yes, thank you. And yeah, that was man. That was uh, I, I. I you guys. You guys characterized it properly. You know, it's not. Well, first of all, I. I do. My my last watch of it. I. I it struck me that the comedy writing is is actually really really good. It's it a is. great yeah, comedy. Well written and well structured. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think of it as a comedy when I first watched it. <laughs> I, I really didn't. I thought, wow, this is like really in, an interesting like slice of like life. Going on in I, LA, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I mean, of course I was laughing at like Ari in particular the first time. But yeah. now the true comic genius of the show is drama. It, I mean, oh yeah. Drama yeah, yeah. Oh hilarious. yeah, for sure. And you know what I just saw? I live right by this comedy club called the Tempe Improv. Mm-hmm. And in April, this, I guess, as it turns out, the guy who created the, the show and Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon do a podcast called oh, really? Victory, called the Victory Podcast. And ah. they're going to be doing it live at the Tempe Improv. And I think I might actually go. Yeah, I would. You should definitely do that. And yeah. like make, it, uh, make it a Tales from the Mall episode. That would be cool. I would yeah. love to meet in particular. I would love to meet Kevin Dillon. Uh, my favorite moment in the whole show is when um, uh, Aquaman has just come out. They go and see it at some multiplex in the valley instead of like, right. you know, yeah. I don't know what I can't remember their rationale. Like just kind power of like outage, the pe- I believe. Yeah. Well, well, the, the power does go out while they're seeing the film because there's like rolling blackouts. But while yeah. they're in the theater and drama's like he's being dramatic and like wearing a towel over his head because it's so hot in the valley or whatever. And some guy gets up at the end of their row and has to use the bathroom and is walking down the line past Turtle, past Vincent or whatever. And he gets to drama and drama's just sitting there with the towel draped over him like he's got a hood, like an Emperor Palpatine hood. And he goes, hold it. And the guy sits back down. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, no, that's pretty funny. That's a yeah. that's a great episode. I also remember because uh, I live in Southern California. I know exactly where that theater was. I believe it shut down during the pandemic. Did you grow up in the valley? I certainly did. And I grew up on the East Coast, but I've been here like five years and it's kind of gotten under my skin where like I can effectively pretend to be local if I want. I <laughs> and, and because I live in the valley as opposed to like West Hollywood or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, uh, yeah, well, no, my family's up. from Northern California. Right, I knew that from your pod. Yeah, um, yeah no, I remember that episode where you talked. No, I'm not even going to get into it, but maybe a little teaser for Tales from the Mall. That story, how like trying to find your aunt's house to piss or whatever. And oh yeah, and I pissed my pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was I. I thought I would yeah. when that happened. 
I thought that I could never tell a soul that it happened. Yeah, that they, that, they, that it was the worst. Like, yeah, that, yeah was, that, that was your rock bottom, right? Yeah, that it was the lowest moment of my life, and you know now I tell anybody that'll listen. But yeah, yeah. So this, yeah, the story is basically what that you uh, you you pulled off the freeway, and you're just trying to remember where your aunt's. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reiterating it now, but yeah, it's pretty pretty damn funny. Well, yeah, it, oh. it just got to the point where I couldn't make any decisions because I just had to pee so badly. So I've got I've been like halfway there myself, honestly. I know it, I can well, understand how it can happen. You yeah. get so drunk that you almost forget to take your pants off. That uh, that has <laughs> happened to me once or twice, where I'm just like, "Oh shit, a guy pulled my, my pants down, or I'm gonna piss in them." I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just well, want to say on this though that um, this uh, I usually don't like to promote podcasts outside of our podcast sphere, but this this Entourage podcast looks incredible. Um, that they it's basically yeah, as you said, it's um, Doug Allen, who's the creator, Kevin Dillon, and um, what's his name? No, yeah, Kevin, Doug Allen and Kevin Dillon. I guess maybe Kevin Connolly's coming on too. Uh, but they they just talk about each episode. I'm gonna have to to listen. I they seem like smart guys. They seem like they know that there's a hunger for this kind of um, revisit, like this type of podcast that kind of revisits cultural the, uh, the golden episodes. age of white boy summer, Matt. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you were describing Dan that you were watching it in the at the college dorm at yeah, uh, yeah. During the, the more... golden age of white boy Yeah. Uh, that was me, too. I, I think we're probably right around the same age. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I remember, like, after nights out of, like, striking out and not getting laid, going back with my bros, and we'd watch Entourage. Yeah. And it was, like, kind of like, oh, well, if you're not getting pussy, it's pretty good. Yeah, on DVD. <laughs> on DVD, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good show. Uh, yeah. No, no, it's, it's uh, iconic of an era. And I love all the, and I mean, they, they do a great job with cameos from people that are well-known, you know, James oh, yeah. Cameron's on there, but people that are like, kind of like only like true film nerds and TV nerds would know, like they had this guy that I'm obsessed with on there who actually directs the show that Johnny drama's on uh, five towns. I believe it's called um, yeah. Edward Burns. Yeah, right. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, he's on there, and uh, Ralph Macchio's on there. <laughs> yeah, yep. um, uh, There's a interesting Kanye uh, cameo. I remember. Oh, too. yeah, I don't like remember at that. the end of um, he like flies them, but he looks. It's like holy shit. Oh yeah, up. it's like from the uh, graduation era. I see. I see. Um, yeah, no, the cameos are. I mean, there's a lot of shows that have kind of stupid cameos where it's like, oh, okay, see what you did with with Entourage. It's so organic to to where they are that um. Yeah, I mean, it just encapsulates the era so well. And I think the point we were trying to make, you know, there's a lot of people who like find found the show very annoying at the time because they're a lot of them are douchebags and like no doubt. Yeah. But I think it's aged probably well. Like I, I didn't I wasn't watching when it came out, but I could see even someone who may have not liked it then. I mean, I think that it really has something to offer. Well, now. I think I think yeah. that people are more open to the way that they're behaving because people aren't going to act that way now. Exactly. You know, where you don't well, have to like deal with the these Marquise. fucking like such the fucking a, Bobby yeah. Bottle Service guys, you know, at you know, the the Ed Hardy crew, you know, like they don't exist yeah. anymore, you know. And yeah. so it we got a little um critical distance on it. Um Yeah. I definitely feel that way. I don't think I would I don't think I would like thrive in hanging out with Vinny Chase and his crew, really. No, no, you know, no, me neither. But but 
they do give you a little bit of, you know, they, they are a little bit of, um, they can act as totems of, I'm definitely a John, I'm definitely a Johnny drama myself. I don't know. <laughs> like how you be in sex in the city girls or whatever you can ever yeah. self to someone. Well, um, what else you got? Hmm. I know we've been going for like two hours. Yeah, a couple hours. You could probably go a little. I have to. I think I have well, another one. How about we uh, yeah. talk about bringing it home a little bit with Tales from the Mall? What is the next step there? Because I noticed we you go online. They um, except for the Halloween episode, most of them are paywalled now. So I think like probably the plan going forward is like you know got pay to play, but yeah. you should pay to play because it's a good series yeah well yeah you you got to pay to play and that's not my my feeling was that i didn't want to make any of them pay to play like in fact by the by the you know at the end of last year i was making them all free for a month until i pay, paywalled them i didn't do any episodes that were because i thought it's too important for people not to hear okay yeah that was my thought yeah. was that i need everybody to be able to hear it if they want to and they should want to because what it is, is it's an atmosphere. It's a it's a completely just like open atmosphere to hear the personalities of people that you've always wondered about, people that you never heard of, and it's very like life affirming st stuff. Yeah. Um. But but now you know. I mean, I think it was a you know it's it's a little more stressful when when you feel like you're kind of in competition with all these other podcasts that are out there and you know, you're trying to get, you're trying to get as many people to listen as possible and you want all this juice and, and you're thinking about guests of who's got the juice and, 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 and I think that's, there's a place for that. I just didn't, I was getting too stressed out about it. And now it's like, well, I had a lot of people already paying to subscribe and I thought those people should be rewarded with the content yeah. and they want to hear it. They're the ones that really want to hear it anyway. And so it's focused my mm -hmm. thinking. I do it once a week now instead of twice a week. That was a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. But I'm that. but yeah. that doesn't mean that I'm not contemplating who the best guests would be. I mean, we've had some amazing guests re really recently. Like I said, Martina Martinez, Tom Will, um, this guy uh, Bill, who is the books editor for Apocalypse Confidential? We did an in-person episode at the St. Louis Galleria in Sweet. Sweet. Uh Petra Courtright, who's a great artist. Um, this um this woman, Amanda Fortini, who's written a lot oh, about yeah. uh who's written a lot about um the Las Vegas shooting. She writes about Las Vegas. She writes for the New Yorker, the New York Times, various mm -hmm. publications, really interesting lady. Um and so it's gonna be a balance between people that are that i'm close to that you might be familiar with if you hang out a lot on twitter and then maybe some new voices who are up to art writing that kind of thing um but if you subscribe good you 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 will be rewarded um uh, because i you know i i keep the i keep the content flowing and and i and i just did a piece of writing actually for my patreon that i did for free um that that's you know that's about um the fashion square mall in scottsdale arizona nice. um that i also nice. that i also recorded 
the piece as well. So you yeah. can listen to it, you can read it. And I'm going to do more stuff like that as well. So yeah, you got to have a little bit of free stuff to get people in. And then, yeah. Do you want to speak to, yeah. What are the, what are the like tiers of, uh, of subscription or you, well, there's, your, there's really only two. There's, there's the yeah. $5 a month, which basically that just gets you access to the new episodes. Plus, like I said, like 90 some episodes archived yeah. on, the, on the, and uh, with, with a wide range of people. That that you that you may be familiar with, like like I said, delicious tacos, but also, you know, uh, Barrett from Contain, Jack yeah, the Perfume Nationalist, yeah. uh, all kinds of crazy people, crazy characters, yeah. Uh, and then um, and then there's a twenty dollar a month level, which is really exists if you just are really want to pay my rent and you really love <laughs> me, and I can't see why you wouldn't. But with that, you get some, you know, I'll I'll mail you some free artwork that I've done because I'm also a visual artist. So right, yeah. You do some good artwork, by the way. I think I just retweeted something this morning. Look, thank you. Sweet. I retweeted the Pat Riley picture. <laughs> I'm working, yeah, I'm working on Pat Riley right now for and I'm gonna give these pieces away to Jacob, to Blower Guys, because yeah. the Pat Riley memes. Uh, flow he- heavily in the apocalypse confidential chat yeah and... he's a memeable guy for sure yeah, yeah. So. so who is up next on tales from the mall well it depends on when this comes out because on monday is going to be amanda fortini nice and then the following because i'm doing them every monday so then the following monday will be bill the books editor that will be the in-person episode that we did um, nice. at the St. Louis Gallery. So Tales from the Mall oh. on the road, which yeah. I want to do more of that. Yeah, I was going to so, say, I, not to, again, pimp myself out as you in this case, but um, if and when you're in SoCal again, let's let's do it. There's oh, so that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, you know, I wouldn't, I don't assume, you know, uh, that I, I, you mentioned like who has the juice. I don't know if I have the juice. But like, uh, but I would love to, you know, I'm, all I'm saying is I'm, I'd be more than willing to, to do a Tales from the Mall. Here. That's what I, we could, you guys uh, got the do juice, the new okay? right episode. You guys got the us. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to do you each individually. That's, that's how I, oh, that's, that's, yeah, no, that's all, a little too. more individual, right? Yeah. The, the, that Halloween special, you know, that was, that was, uh, you know, the I'd done another special with Blower Guys and Newton, but usually it's a one-on-one. You know, I got you know, I really like to sink my teeth in, you know, with the one-on-one. Um, that works too. And then there's going to be one uh, at following the one with Bill with my friend Robbie, who's been on the show a number of times, and he's rebranded himself as Stern Fan Robbie. And I'm going to get his. I'm going to. We're going to do a deep dive into into the Howard Stern. Oh, Howard and, Stern. Okay, I don't yeah. know. Uh, NBA is on the brand, <laughs> but yeah. Well, we'll, we could also talk about David Stern, probably. Yeah. You know, and see. Are you, you know, a Suns he... fan? I was going to ask this. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm I'm more inclined to be a Suns fan now. Um, but they uh, they got Durant, KD. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. my parents are Warriors fans. And I kind of, yeah. and I kind of went along with that for a while. I don't, I'm not that crazy about the Warriors. It was not a big thing growing up because they sucked. Yeah, right. Uh, I was a, my first professional sports experience was at Arco Arena where I saw the Kings because I was born oh. in Sacramento. And so Jeez. I liked the Kings a lot and I liked them even better when they were like really like, they were really but fucking were good, really when, good, and they were playing the Lakers. Unfortunately, you know. In oh, the I, I'm Conference. very familiar with this. Um, we might on when we do a Tales from the Mall, maybe we should go more in depth because I actually have thoughts and feelings on this. The 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 greatest tragedy in sports history. 
Yes. So 2001, was it? I believe so. <laughs> yeah. Finals? And I mean, all yeah. th- those teams were great. I mean, the, the players on, but I haven't followed the Kings in a long time. I tried to get back into them. They really suck. They're better they, now. Yeah. They had, De- at one point, they had like DeMarcus Cousins. And, uh, but, you know, that was me. Now that, now, I mean, we're talking about 10, 12 years ago. So I, I, I don't follow the NBA that closely. I'm more I don't of a either, football person. But, um... Yeah, I mean, we can maybe we can talk more about the Kings on a few. I don't want to derail. I have to go before too long, but yeah, there's a it's they're an interesting franchise for sure. And I I don't follow the NBA super closely, but I was thinking about becoming like initiated into becoming a Kings fan because like I live in LA, but I'm not going to support the Lakers. So we support the California team, uh, but they've always been interesting. Yeah, with that famous case where there there's a for listeners who don't know, which is probably a lot of our listeners. I don't think we have a ton of sports fans. Sports uh, ball. Sports ball. Uh, there's just a famous case where, like, uh, basically, it's not even a conspiracy theory. There was a rigged NBA conference finals where the Lakers were. Uh, <laughs> maybe some people contest this, but basically, where the referees handed a uh, conference title to the Lakers over the Kings. Oh wow! I, I haven't shame. even heard of that. That's uh, that's crazy. Well, yeah, the but, Kings are like the ultimate small market team in the NBA. Like, yeah, Sacramento. Sacramento. Who gives a shit? Yeah. But is anyway, maybe a to, yeah. Oh, go on, go on, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, is there maybe a conservative liberal divide there? Because Sacramento, I think of being a more uh, you know conservative area in California to the extent California has them, which I believe is actually to a significant. Oh yeah, extent. yeah. I definitely Central and, Valley. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like California used to be like kind of like it was thought of as like kind of a, the intellectual headquarters of modern oh, conservatism. Yeah. Well, I mean, you still have the Claremont. Yeah. And, and Reagan and, and um, Nixon, Nixon yeah. from Orange yeah. County. Yeah. Nixon so really is the, the only Californian president we've ever had. I mean, Reagan was from the Midwest, you know? Yeah. No, hundred percent. I talk about oh. this a lot on my show. Yeah, Nixon. We, yeah. Yeah. I've heard you talk about this. On I like Nixon. Oh, I do yeah, too. Yeah, same. I think I'm, that's a, the, I'm a big you know, Nixon fan. <laughs> but to uh, bring it back to what we're talking about, we'll, we'll probably post this about a, like on um like later this week, basically, like you know, like Thursday, Friday. So the Fortini episode should be out, and the mm-hmm. Bill, the Bill, what was it, Bill the Fiction Editor? No, Bill. Yeah, the, Bill. Uh, yeah, Will, Will, William Will his Will Waltz. He's on Twitter, Bill, uh, and uh, he's he's our books editor. Yeah, build a book Saturday. And I, and I just like visited him. Yet. I just visited him in St. Louis. Yeah. I happen to have lived there for a few years myself. Oh wow! Oh. And so we, uh, we, I mean, we tore it up. Like we, we went all over the place. But we did an in-person episode at a mall, St. Louis yeah. Galleria. Nice. And we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about, yeah, you know, a lot of you know what the artistic process, edit, you know, um, the the role of an editor you know, in, in editing fiction and writing. Um, we talk about Apocalypse Confidential. We talk mm-hmm. about David Cronenberg. Uh, yeah. It's it's a great episode. So people should subscribe. They can listen to the Amanda Fortini episode, a brilliant woman who uh, it's like a three hour episode. And then, and then they'll be subscribed. They can go back and listen to the entire archive and then they can be ready for when the in-person bill episode drops. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone should subscribe to Tales from the Mall because there's just an incredible backlog of amazing episodes with guests who are, you know, interesting and often hilarious people. Martina, amazing actress. 
and personality mutant just like what more can you say about howling mutant that he hasn't said many times you can get uh, you can, there are there are, uh i believe there are four different episodes upon on which mutant appears very cool he, he's, very he's cool. tied with the most frequent uh, him and jacob are on there yeah. four times four different times both together and separate yeah yeah no i mean there's like there are pods that you listen to just to like to stay abreast of whatever's going on and then there are pods that you enjoy and like i enjoy tales from the mall it's like it's fun to listen to and everyone should subscribe yeah thank you thank you guys yeah well i feel like we could probably have gone like another whole hour i feel like there's so many topics we could delve into but I got to I got to bounce in a second here, um, but we should have you back on or I guess we will maybe do some pause with you, hopefully, for Tales from the Mall. And let's continue talking about some of this stuff because really enjoyed having you on. Brennan. Thank Absolutely. You. I, this is a great pleasure. I admire you guys both and I admire I'm a big fan of the show. So keep okay, doing it. We'll, Thanks. we'll do. Uh, thank you for coming on. Brennan. My pleasure. All right. All right. Stop recording here.